Okay, everybody, welcome to volume 25 of Church Jams Now, the podcast where former youth group kids and current music nerds do a deep dive on Christian music from the 90s and 2000s. I am, of course, one of your co-hosts, Kylan Savage, and with me, as always, we have Mr. TJ Smith. Hey, hey, how's it going? Our beautiful producer, Josh Olson. Hey, guys. But guys, we also have a guest today. Yeah, we do. I'm super excited. I don't know how you guys feel. Uh, I'm going to put you on the spot. How do you feel about it? Pretty stoked. I'm psyched out of my mind. That's intense. That is intense. <laughs> I hope you live yeah. up to that hype. Uh, guys, yeah. we have Mason Meninga today from the Black Sheep podcast and a People's Theology podcast, as well as a myriad of of things. Mason, is there something that I <laughs> that I that I missed? Uh, prepare to be dis- disappointed too. Okay, perfect. <laughs> I, you know, I disappoint my parents all the time, and I'm sure I'll disappoint you too. <laughs> oh, you are in the right place, buddy. <laughs> I have been a disappointment since 2008. Did they even call it deconstruction back then? <laughs> no, it was just you. It was backsliding. That's what they it called was backsliding. backsliding. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Turning away from the faith. So usually the way that we do this part A is we'll kind of share a little bit about, uh, like Josh usually did some research and we'll talk about the band a little bit and then we'll talk about the album and some memories we have. But before we get into that, I just kind of want to hear from you, Mason, for our listeners that maybe aren't as familiar with you, just how did you grow up like listening to this kind of music? How did you get like uh, involved in listening to bands like Me Without You and other tooth and nail bands and stuff like that? Yeah, it was a weird journey. So I grew up in the conservative Christian world and up until uh, I think it was 2004, I think it was up until 2004, which I was, uh, I think it was 10 years old at that time. And I thought all Christian music was like newsboys and audio adrenaline, right? Like stuff that you would listen to in church Mm -hmm. or sing at church. And it wasn't until 2004 when I went over to a friend who was a little bit older than me. So he was like, you know, cool middle school or whatever. (laughs) He was, uh, he was right across the street, um, a neighbor and I went over to his house one day and he showed me this song called Chapstick, Chap Lips, and Things Like Chemistry. <laughs> and yeah. I was like, what? This is so interesting. He's like, and it's Christian. And I'm like, <laughs> so I can listen to it? And it sounds really interesting. Like, it's the kind of music I would actually want to listen to, not Life you know, that Newsboy CCM stuff. And I couldn't believe it. I had no idea that music could sound like that. And it was right around that time that Meant to Live came out, too. Oh, yeah. So I really got into Mental Live and Switchfoot. So those were like the my first two introductions to Christian music that was not CCM stuff. Right. And I quickly evolved into Tooth and Nail, Solid State World. And I really got uh, just really uh, became a fan very quickly into all of that. Uh, so it was maybe not that much later, maybe six months later that uh, Catch Us for the Foxes came out. and. I was watching, there used to be this programming, this Christian programming on this TV channel that I would, I don't even remember what the channel was called, but there was this Christian programming and it was basically like the Christian version of MTV. They had like all these, uh, the, all these shows about like extreme sports and they also had a top 10 music video countdown. Was it Steel Roots? It was Steel Roots. So I was watching Steel Roots one day, you know, I kind of. Uh, happened across this channel. So I would come home every day after school. I'd walk walk home and would pull up uh, Steel Roots and then 
either vote for the you know music videos for the next day, I guess, right. uh, or I would you know watch the watch the videos of you know what the top ten music videos were of that day, and so that's how I ended up finding out about me without you because they had January 1979. Nice. And so that was then my very first introduction to that whole world and just being like what it can even it doesn't even have to be like pop punk or anything like it can be really <laughs> indie weird punk stuff. Mm. Uh and so that was my whole introduction to all of that. I still remember being like scared out of my mind anytime they had like a Norma Jean music video. Uh it's <laughs> like I didn't know Christians could be creepy like this. So anyway, <laughs> That was my whole introduction to all that music was initially it was Reliant K and then I just ended up finding the Steel Roots show and watching Steel Roots religiously, pun intended. That's great. Josh, how do you remember that? How do you remember what that's called? Uh, we had like a DVD of it as well. I didn't like have yeah. a channel or anything, but my parents bought me like some DVDs and it's because it was like extreme sports and like Christian music. It was everything I needed when that's I was growing so up. rad. That was the key demographic for that. Yeah. Essential programming for a church youth. Yeah. Yeah. I think I also had that oh, DVD, totally. maybe. I'm pretty sure that's where I saw the Walls video, Emery. Oh, yeah. It was right uh, around that yeah. time, too. I remember mm -hmm. finding Emery at that same time. Yeah. Yeah. All those music videos were coming out. Un reinventing Your Exit by Under Oath. Mm -hmm. God, God. Yeah. Just yeah, that like, whole 2004, like, I was gonna say, like for the like, Foxes. The you know uh, the week's end the came out end. that same year. Mm -hmm. uh, they're only chasing safety Safety's came out that same year. I'm sure there's some other ones I'm not thinking of right now, but that whole 2004 year for Tooth and Nail was yeah. a big year <laughs> yeah. for them. That's wild. I think New Medicines too was that year. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Dead Poetic. I remember watching Dead Poetic's uh, music videos during that time too. Wow, what a time to be alive. 2004. Yeah, I was. Because I was a couple years late to all of that. I think once I hit high school, so like 2006 is when that all kind of like blew up for me. Well, dude, that that is rad. Yeah, you, you got some Christian music bona fides there. We've, <laughs> it's fun to have a fellow like tooth and nail solid state nerd on on the show. Maybe even more so than us. Probably. Yeah. Well, I don't know about I don't know, Mason. I don't I don't know if you can go head to head with Josh. But he's Ooh. he's being modest, but yeah, I think you're definitely a bigger tooth and nail fan than TJ and I. We don't know what we're I doing. will. I mean, I got basically a tooth and nail podcast, so there right, is that. Right, right, yeah, <laughs> yeah, you, for real. Cool. So yeah, the album we are talking about is um, "Me Without You, Catch Frost the Foxes." Which also, I, I've already mis, uh, mis said that I do this all the time for whatever reason in my mind. It's "Catch Us for the Foxes," but not. Catch no, no, oh, I, I didn't even, I didn't even catch dude. That. That's yeah, a I, way darker <laughs> idea too. Like catch us you, for the foxes. Like we're being caught, and maybe we're dinner for the foxes. Like they're gonna eat us. That's kind of metal. I thought it was that way for a long time until for the foxes. So I don't know why it just rings off my tongue yeah. a little bit better. And and knowing me without you, it could it could be either. Like both it really makes sense. <laughs> yeah. And I didn't even catch it until we, I interviewed a couple years ago. I interviewed the bassist for me without you, and oh, wow. he didn't he didn't even point it out. Uh, people who listened to the episode uh, told about told me about it later, and they're <laughs> oh, like, "Are no. you really that much of a fan? If you're miss you know missing the, the album, like, I'm and I'm like to wow. the bassist." <laughs> And he didn't even point it out. So maybe That's he so even good. like thinks it's that. Who knows? That's so funny. Totally off topic. But the bassist, did he also have a side project called 
geology? It is geology. In fact, he just is he still doing it. Released an album, I think, this year. Oh damn! That was like the first band, like when Bandcamp first came out. That was like the first thing I ever got on Bandcamp. That I was mm-hmm. like, oh man, this is and anything me without you related. I had to I had to get, but I love that. That's cool. I didn't know you were still doing that. So yeah, we're talking about me without you, Josh. Do you want to give us a little bit of history on on me without you? I will, yeah. And Mason, feel free to jump in at any point with any Perfect. fun anecdotes or corrections or anything else you'd like to add. Me Without You is originally from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Their career was from 2001. At the time I wrote this, I said to present on their farewell tour, but as of now, they have concluded their farewell tour. They are done. Unfortunately, they are done. Mason, did you go to one or multiple dates of it? I did go to one, yeah. I went to the Denver nice. date. Denver, sweet. Amazing. Josh, did you go? I saw a Dallas one in late June. Mm. There you go. But yeah, so as of right now, they are they have been successfully farewelled into the great into the great beyond. That's a great way to put it. <laughs> successfully farewelled. <laughs> First was Rob Bell. He was farewelled years ago. And now me without you. <laughs> they did it willingly, though. <laughs> yeah, I, on their terms. I love that they like announced their farewell tour before the pandemic happened, and then whenever all that happened, they had to restructure everything. But then, like, their announcement video that they were, like, postponing it was, uh, what was it, Nature Had Another Way and Failed to Run It By Me or something like that, which is a lyric from <laughs> one of their songs. That's so good. perfect. Uh, members are Aaron Weiss, who does lead vocals and just plays lots of instruments, like accordion and guitar and everything. Every weird His brother, Michael Weiss, plays guitar and keyboards, does some vocals. Ricky Mazzotta, Mazzotta? Apologize, Ricky. Uh, he plays drums. Those three have been in the band the entire time. On this record, Chris Kleinberg was on guitar, and then their bassist was Daniel Bishock. Bishock on bass. So he was the, he was only there for the first two records. I apologize, Daniel, if you're out there. Yeah, for and from what I've name. heard, he quit almost immediately after they recorded that album. Really? Uh, wow. Because Greg, when I interviewed Greg, he said he basically was the basis during that album cycle other than the fact that he didn't record it. Record it. So, wow, hmm. interesting. He, so as soon as they started touring... Uh, uh, catch for us the foxes said it right this time uh, that was all Greg touring hmm. so which is really interesting Crazy. okay cool yeah so he's been in he's pretty OG at that point too then if he's yeah. Been, yeah, I, yeah I think of him as record. the mean without you bath- yeah basis. that makes sense for sure uh, the record catch for us that we're talking about was released October 5th 2004 so if we time this right this episode will release on the day it turns 18 years old uh-huh. in 2022 Josh, you love that. You, I do. You I try to line like them all up. Weirdly obsessed with <laughs> things coming out on exact dates and anniversaries. Uh, there's probably yeah. like I'm maybe the only one, or there's like one other person out there that's even like remotely cares. Like oh, I was gonna listen to this episode or this record on its birthday anyway, <laughs> but for you are there. The, you are this that, is for you, <laughs> the one other person. I mean, it it's like the same thing with the Anne Berlin with the Silver Line EP came out a week after what the. I don't remember what anniversary it would have been. It was. Eight years, eight exactly, years. To, from their last record. Yeah. Yep. About release dates, something I've noticed is now, at least within the last few years that I've noticed, bands are releasing albums on Fridays. I don't know if you guys have noticed that, but I, correct me if I'm wrong. But back then, the way I remembered it, and again, I could totally mm-hmm. be wrong. It was like usually Tuesdays, it right? Was Tuesdays, yeah. It was. I know Josh has okay. a <laughs> They changed it in 2015. It was Tuesdays, and then they changed. In 2015, they all decided that they're just going to make Friday the release date. 
And I remember specifically, because right around that time, John Foreman was releasing his Wonderland DPs or whatever. The first one was like on a Tuesday, but then by the time the second one rolled around, so I think they changed it probably around May or June. Was that like because of streaming? Do you think? Like, I have no for the idea. Because like, get more like listens Because the billboard charts were already Wednesday to Wednesday because the release dates were Tuesday. But right. I don't know. I loved looking forward to like, because what else do you have to look forward to on a Tuesday? But I right. did because right. I was like, this new album come, comes out, so I guess I'll listen to it. And you have like the whole week. So Tuesday, I don't know. Yeah. I miss Tuesday releases, but Fridays are fine, I guess. I love that y'all both paid enough attention to know that <laughs> because I accidentally released my album a on few Tuesday, weeks ago, on a Tuesday, <laughs> on Tuesday. and Josh, Josh was, was so first excited. Yes, to let me know. You're old. You're like, so old school, TJ. <laughs> I, I had like, no oh, idea. I know. Which I loved. I loved learning like, that. That was in so our group cool. chat. Josh was like, "Yeah, TJ, I think it's so cool that you released an album <laughs> like like old school, like on a Tuesday instead of the the Friday that everyone does now." And TJ was like. Oh, I did. I, yeah, totally. Sure. Totally. <laughs> Wasn't an accident at all. Exactly, exactly yeah. what I meant to do. <laughs> yeah, it's on purpose. That's so funny. All right, Josh, what else we got? Uh, what else we got? Let's see. So this was their second record on Tooth and Nail. The producer was Brad Wood. I got a lot about him. Uh, he produced, engineered, and mixed this record along with Brother Sister, their next record. Mm. He also has a lot of other production credits like Liz Fair's Exile and Guyville and Whip Smart. Mm. Oh, he wow. produced Sunny Day Real Estate's Diary and self-titled records. Wow. Uh, that would make sense why there's the Jeremy Ennick uh, feature in Brother Sister. On a porcupine, yeah, for yeah. sure. Because he's like, I'll just call up Jeremy and get him on your song. <laughs> That's right. Good buddy, Jeremy. Yeah. He also produced Hedwig and the Angry Inches self-titled, which Kylo oh. mentioned in our beautiful letdown episode in vol- volume 12. Nice. <laughs> Kylan, he also produced Say Anything's In Defense of the Genre. Oh, wow. I love In Defense of the Genre. I know I'm like the only person, but I will defend it. For the sake of the genre. For the sake of the genre, yeah. Exactly. (laughs) So they're working with a pretty, a guy who's got his producing chops. Yeah, for real. Charts and performance. Didn't chart on Billboard 200, but charted Billboard Christian at 13. Spotify stats. This record has their most popular song, which Mason already mentioned is January 1979. Mm -hmm. And it was one of only three songs that they played every night on their farewell tour. Mm. Uh, oh, I didn't if know. anyone wants to guess the other two, because Me Without You is cool because they you don't know any night you're getting a totally different set list, which is sweet. I love right, that, that about them. Cool. They played January 1979 every night. Yeah, they always had at least like a rotation of 50 songs that they could play at which a moment's insane. notice. That's so crazy that to me. Good for them. Yeah, I can't fathom that. Okay, so Josh, there were two others. That there were two they others in. they played. Every night there was January nineteen seventy nine. Sweater poorly knit. That was gonna be my guess. Yeah, correct. That is okay. one of them. And I don't know what the other one would. Be. Oh wait, uh, the one from um, hang on, give me a second. Give me. Oh, I'm gonna figure it out. It's it. uh, all circles. It is not. Listen, <gasps> do you have any guesses? My guess is it's an untitled song. <laughs> it is. Is it Julia? It is. <gasps> Damn. Okay. Or Holy to the Lord on the Bells of Horses. <laughs> yeah. So, oh, yes. Good guessing, okay. guys. Good job. That makes yeah. sense. Hey, we did it. We beat your game, Josh. <laughs> you <laughs> fucking me. destroyed your game. <laughs> oh, man. You got me so good. <laughs> yep. Uh, the only other thing I have about this record is that all songwriting credits go to me without you, except I found this. There's a, on forward letter, there's a side credit for the Salters for Cry of the Exodus. Oh, yes. Which y'all have mentioned the Salters in like our group text. And I had, and I think 
You've played with them, Kylan or TJ? <laughs> I did I, play with them. I yeah. had no idea who the, the Salters even were, but they have a credit on Dude, this record. That's cool. They're like an even more radical version of Me Without You. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Mason, I was telling them. So when I was in high school, I opened for the Salters on Shane Claiborne's book tour <laughs> for a bunch of Texas dates. And they used Me Without You's van. And so they were all yeah, like kind of sense. like okay. connected and like, you know, pseudo pseudo yeah. hippie. Essentially, you know, Me like... Without You is Salter's <laughs> light, but nobody knows that. Right. right. <laughs> okay, a couple a uh, few of my favorite fun facts around Me Without You. First off, uh with the Salters, uh a couple years ago when I interviewed Greg, I tweeted something right before the interview, I tweeted something along the lines, I'm interviewing a band that is known for dumpster diving and having a bus that runs on vegetable oil and most people are like oh me without you but there were a number of people that said oh that could either be me without you or the salters Salters, right accurate because they definitely were kind of that type of band too um Mm -hmm. you mentioned shane claiborne uh kylan Mm -hmm. uh i i met shane uh several years ago five six years Mm -hmm. ago and he told me that me without you played at his wedding Really? No way. That's cool. So I don't know how many years ago he got married, but I guess Me Without You played at Shane Claiborne's wedding. And then my last fun fact, uh, I'm surprised this is not mentioned in Wikipedia, uh, but all of the, every single album that Me Without You had, other than I think their very first EP, but every single album was, the album artwork was done by the same person. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's cool. And he's like, uh, I think like a Russian or Ukrainian artist. Yeah. I, I, I don't even want to attempt to say his name. But uh, anyway, it was all done by the same exact person, which I think is that's really cool. cool. And yeah. if I remember right, he was at the final couple shows in Philadelphia. I saw oh, some people cool. taking pictures with him, which is great. I would great. hope so. That would probably was. That's, that's beautiful. Yeah. That's yeah. A good way that. to, which is like a great way to like keep all their artwork in like a unified theme. It's, it's so distinct one uh-huh. to begin with, but then, you yeah. know, every record is going to, it looks like a Me Without You record. Mm-hmm. Dude, I know. To the point where, like, so, Mason, every episode that we do, I Photoshop the album cover to, like, feature us or our guest or whatever, and I have no fucking clue what I'm going to do <laughs> Good luck. this album. I it's going to be gnarly. I have zero idea. Whatever it is. <laughs> Honestly, I think Untitled would be the best one just because there's so much blank space uh, with the white around. Right. But even then, you got like in the middle, you've got all the, the colors know. and stuff. I, mean, I, yeah, I don't no, know what you're going to no, do either. No clue what I'm going to do. This is really going to test you. <laughs> See how good you I are. I feel like it should be I Spy style. Like fit our faces oh, into the collage somewhere and make it like a challenge for Oh, Pale for Horses would be great. If you find. could like somehow get our faces in the same type of artwork style <laughs> as pale horses, because there's all these different images within right, pale horses. Right. That yes. would be an idea, but yeah. that would take quite a bit of work. I think that's true. <laughs> I might like outsource that on Fiverr or something. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> cool. That's everything I got. Everything you got for the album. Sweet. So, uh, yeah, let's talk about, let's, let's talk some more me without you. Fun facts. TJ, I want to hear from you a little bit more. What is your connection to me without you? What, oh, man. And this record. Yeah. So I want to say this record was sort of my introduction to the band. And I think I I then went backwards to AB Life. Funny enough, it was my friend Danny Beth. Shout out to Danny Beth, whose dad was the pastor of the First Baptist Church in our hometown. And she was just like, 
really into all the weird like rock music that was in the Christian world, but like a little out there, like it, like you're talking about Mason, like it's not the CCM stuff. It's like the weird, the weird stuff. Mm -hmm. And, um, she burned this CD for me and a couple other friends of ours. And it just like blew my mind. Cause like you're saying, it's like, it's not the like pop structure, right? Like verse, chorus, verse, chorus with a, with a real, you know, come to Jesus message kind of music. It's like explode your brain art rock type music. Art rock. I like that. Yeah. Cause I feel like, I don't know, even as a kid, even though I didn't have words to articulate this, I feel like it was evident that Aaron is like a thinker and like a philosopher poet. And that I think is initially what I actually fell in love with. Like when I started unpacking his lyrics, even though I didn't quite understand it, I, it left me reeling in a way like sort of intellectually or existentially that I was like, I don't know what to do with this, but I'm here for it. It's really cool. Um, but all the energy in the music was just like a blast. So I remember she burned a CD for me and she was like, we're going to listen to it. And she like popped it in the car CD player because cars had CD players back in the day, kiddos. You probably don't know about that. Cars but, still uh, have CD players, TJ. You're not. No, 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 they don't. They, they're they they're all electric. They still have them. them. They still they, have them. They play with the, the streaming. They only have Apple Play. <laughs> Apple Play. They play through the Apple internet. So we drove around uh my neighborhood and just listen to this album and it was uh it was a blast that's rad i've got a, a vivid sense memory of that and uh i feel like i don't even know if we got to the end of the album but it was like around the time we got to like seven sisters i was on board i was like this You're this album rules it. yeah and i never looked back i've been like a crazy massive fan since then awesome mason what about you when did you first like sit down and listen to this record oh the whole record as a whole yeah um honestly i have no idea uh again like i mentioned before my first introduction to me without you was january 1979 which is the lead right. track on this or, or the the single off this album and it was from stu roots that i i discovered me without you and i remember if you guys remember this website i went went on purevolume.com yes yeah. we talk about pure volume all yeah. the time went on pure volume and uh checked out more of their stuff because obviously that's where you go if you want to see mm -hmm. or check out more free music and so i think at that time they had a few other songs uh from the from the album and then they had some of their songs from ab life and that was kind of, again, my first introduction to Me Without You. I'm sure at some point a few years later on like LimeWire or something, I downloaded the album and started right. listening to the entire album as a whole. But I just have no memory of what that was. But obviously it happened at some point. Yeah, it happened at some point. All the LimeWire, Kazaa stuff just so, all blended yeah. together. You, you probably honestly like listen to half of the tracks you listen to were probably from ab life but right. just titled differently <laughs> and right yeah i think they had like paper hanger on there too which is honestly mm -hmm. i think the most underrated me without you song that ending just goes so hard it's they only i saw me without you many times live they only played it a few times paper hanger but every time that song is like such a great like post hardcore ending just like goes really really hard but anyway i think those were the first couple songs i ever listened to them yeah it was later on that i actually listened to the entire album and 
of course, fell in love with it. And, and the funny thing is, it's not my favorite Me Without You album, but it's the album that really, truly introduced me to Me Without You. And honestly, I think like if somebody who has no idea who Me Without You is and they were like, give me an album to kind of get the sound of who they are. Right. I think this album really does capture everything that they do really well. Although I do sure. think other albums do that well. This is the best introduction to all of that. Okay. That makes sense. I yeah. I totally get that. Mason, a couple months ago, you tweeted Kevin Klein from Valley Heart because he was like just getting into me without you. And you'd said that like Catch For Us and Brother Sister aren't even like their best records. And I was like, oh, this is something I want to talk about with Mason. <laughs> oh, yeah. I am curious, like, what are your favorite or what do you think the best Me Without You records are? Yeah. So here's the thing about Me Without You. I obviously love Catch For Us, The Foxes, and even Brother Sister. But they were one of those bands that was so good at maturing every single album that I do think almost every single album, there might be one exception to that, but almost every single album got better each and every time. Uh, mm -hmm. So I honestly would say that my two favorite albums are their last two albums. Hmm. And Interesting. I would probably say my least favorite album was uh, the uh, It's All Crazy album, just because it's so different for the uh, most part than everything else. And I, there are a few songs in there that I really enjoy, but as a complete album, it's last on my list. Well, because it was so much written by Aaron, right? And not right from the band. It almost feels like an Aaron side project. Like it, it does. Album, yeah. 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 No, exactly. Sure. And then I would probably put 10 stories and brother sister in that next kind of tier behind their last two, two albums, uh, along with catch for us, the foxes, there's kind of those albums. And then, uh, it's all crazy album. Uh, and then probably the AB life is kind of right in that line with, uh, but again, like it's sort of following right, every that, album that for the most part, other mm -hmm. than the, it's all crazy. But for the most part, it's following that kind of progression because I do think they matured every album really, really well. Mm. And so, yeah, as much as I think a really good introduction to their sound is catch for us, the foxes or brother, sister. And, that's what I would introduce other people who are unfamiliar unfamiliar with me without you. That's what I would introduce them to. Hmm. But in terms of my favorite albums, it's their last two albums. I think Pale Horses is fucking incredible. And I think Untitled is fucking incredible. Yeah. They're just two unbelievable albums. I, I love that, Mason, because I feel like there are a lot of folks out there that are like, Catch Russ and Brother Sister is like pinnacle That's without it. you. Yeah, yeah. And I'm not I'm not here to disagree with them or say they're wrong, but for me personally, I, I think Pale Horses is the best album. Like, that one landed with me more than any other, and I love all of their music so much. So even trying to, like, rank them, and I've said this before, Josh and Kylan are familiar, I have a hard time, like, doing that, like, trying to, like, be like this one's one and this one's six like <laughs> right. i'm like that's bonkers to me because they're all just like incredible especially with a band as prolific right as but that's how you. josh that's how josh's brain works and that's how because of my add <laughs> i have to process information for sure <laughs> but it's a lot more nebulous for you i understand yeah that. but yeah, it's refreshing yeah. to have somebody be like uh, their last two are their best two like yeah because uh, I, I i've talked to so few people that that feel that way so it's really yeah. exciting so i'm i'm curious to see what you feel about this album in light of that you know yeah yeah again like i just think it's one of those albums that as good as it is if you listen to their later albums you can kind of see oh they've definitely gotten better this is what like they were just from their songwriting song structure 
uh, just even their talent as, as musicians for mm-hmm. each one of their instruments, they just have gotten better. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it, as great as of album as Catch for Us the Foxes is, it it still is just I don't think as good of a Me Without You record as their later stuff. My favorite band of all time is The Chariot, which The Chariot and Me Without You have a long history. Right. I think The Chariot's very similar in that regard too. I think their worst album was mm. their first album, and I think their last two albums were their two best albums. Hmm. And then their their other two albums in the middle, I could kind of, you know, flip flop. Uh, I, I don't really have a opinion on where they need to exactly be ranked, but but I think they're one of those bands too that just every single album got better as a band. And I think the beauty of Me Without You is the they totally did that as well. They mm. absolutely yeah. got better as a band. They got became better musicians. They became, uh, you know, Aaron became a better lyricist, I think, even throughout his career. And yeah, they just became overall a better band. Which is kind of the best case scenario, right? Don't like, don't you kind of <laughs> want that for any band that you like? Like, please get better every time. So yeah. that's awesome. Yeah. The other thing I think for me without you, if, like if I, if I were in the band, the thing I would be almost most proud of, not only the music, but they achieved almost everything they achieved the one thing that every band would want to achieve, and that is cult following. Yeah. Me Without You is not the biggest band in the world, obviously. But if they put out something right now, they would do really well. They right. they would sell out tours. They or, they would sell out uh, vinyl. Like They yeah. would just do really well because they have an incredibly dedicated following, even though it's not the biggest following. But instead, Aaron wants to go off and teach philosophy in Idaho. <laughs> I I, I, I don't know if it. I actually tweeted this, but I said something along the lines, you know, Aaron is known for dumpster diving and he got his PhD in like sociology. Right. So he's going to have to be dumpster diving for the rest of his life. <laughs> in Idaho. So yeah, I mean, that's the best. <laughs> but that's like the, I remember I discovered that, that that's what he's doing like a few months ago. I was like, that is the most Aaron Weiss thing, though. Like, that's like... Absolutely. Yeah, but that that, that goes back to what you were saying, Mason, too, of like, yeah, they're not the most well-known band, but there is like a very select group of people that will like keep up with like anything that they do. And that is what I think any musician can like ever hope for, where you're not like movie star famous. Like, you can go to a, a Wendy's and dig through their dumpster and no one's going to stop you. But <laughs> like there are people like you can make a living doing it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cause you got that friends. insane, insanely dedicated fandom out there. Keeping yeah. Including afloat. Haley Williams. Right. Yes. Yeah. Which who better to have is like your <laughs> cheerleader. That's Man, the best. I love that. They took me without you out on that. Was it like that cruise tour they did a couple years ago? Like, Oh yeah. Oh, that's oh, a great right. I forgot about that. <laughs> yeah. But I was like, I can't imagine like all the Paramore fans. They're like, who is this? Yeah. Band? What is this? Like, what? <laughs> it was already. So I saw Paramore back in 2007. They opened for Jimmy world. And that yes. already was and like a weird and deer in the headlights. Oh, what a show. My goodness. <laughs> and that was like weird because that was right when like Riot came out. And so it was mm. all like and I, I'm like, I was such an asshole. I was like a, you know, 17 year old emo kid. And I was like, who are all these assholes? They're like 14 wearing Paramore Hot Topic t-shirts. <laughs> but it was like all these like like little girls that just wanted to hear misery business. And then all the Jimmy World fans were just like 30-year-old dudes in flannels drinking beer. Right. And it was like so weird. So I can't even imagine the disparity between 
like now Paramore fans and me without you fans. I would love to, I, w- I wish I could go back in time and go on that cruise. <laughs> that was only a few years ago too. Yeah. That's I forget so who told me this story. Uh, somebody who knows Haley and Paramore really well that I've interviewed before. And he was saying something along the lines that they went on tour right before riot. They they were on warp tour right before riot came out. And if I remember right, riot came out in the summer. So it would have been like yep. pretty much in the middle of warp tour hmm. and Paramore went from literally they were, they didn't even have a stage to play on. They would get in a back of a truck and play <laughs> in a back of a truck. Like kind of as like a, this sort of like side stage, right. like in between sets type of thing. Right. Mm-hmm. And they went from doing that at the beginning of Warp Tour to at the by the time Warp Tour ended, they were the headliner. That's insane. So like wild. that. That's how quick that happened for yeah. them. Yeah. They <laughs> literally exploded in the span. Well, of they didn't days. literally explode. <laughs> okay. Then we'd be Thank talking about that. them differently. Thank you. Thanks for that. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Josh, I want to hear about you in this record. Tell me about your experience with this record. All right, so the first Me Without You song I ever heard was Paper Hanger because of a, my, Mason, my parents used to buy me like those X2000, like 2005 DVD music compilation. I don't know if you know those, but I didn't have Steel Roots, so my parents would just buy me DVDs of music videos that were all like tooth and nail. Uh, Where did they buy them from? Probably Family Christian Bookstore. All right, everyone Family take Christian a drink. Not Lifeway. Not, not Lifeway. We didn't, we didn't have a Lifeway in my hometown. We had yeah. Family wow. Christian Bookstore. And then Lifeway a little was later, too okay. yeah. I guess, and then a little later, we <laughs> got a Mardell. Oh, we got a Mardell. <laughs> Mardell yeah. was great because they actually like had Bless the Martyr in there so I could buy it finally. Mm. Family Christian. We run a Family now. Christian Bookstore and Lifeway and Mardell. I think Boom. anyone playing the CJN drinking game That's three somebody should won. be blacked out now. <laughs> yes. <laughs> So anyway, I I saw the Paper Hanger music video, but I was like, I liked the chorus of it because it's like, it's one of their super catchy, like catchier songs for mm-hmm. sure because there's clean vocals like or like singing vocals, which, but anyway, I was like, this is fine. And I never like looked into their discography. It wasn't until I met Kylan in college where he was a big Me Without You fan and he showed me Brother Sister and I fell in love with that. I record. remember that. I remember the first time I played Brother Sister for you. Yeah. In my car. Like, Big, yeah, yeah. For Do you sure. want to hear a fun fact about the paper hanger music video? Please. I would love to. Where it. it's filmed is the neighborhood that Simple Way is in, with Shane Claiborne. Oh, really? Hmm. Yep that's the that's the same exact neighborhood. And they're yeah. all connected. Wow. <laughs> is he from Philly too? Yeah. Uh, well, I don't know if Shane. Area-ish. No, Shane's not from Philly, but he went to Eastern and basically has lived right. in Philly for the rest of his life since he went to college. Um, gotcha. And so, and, and Aaron lived with Shane for a while in the simple way, um, or probably around that time. It was probably around the time that they filmed it. It was probably why they were able to film it in that. Right. Right. Yeah. 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 <laughs> it just made sense. Nice. Very That's cool. Right. But yeah, so I got super into brother, sister, and then that was kind of like really it for me. Like getting, I was like really content with just that one record. Like whenever, 10 stories came out and pale horses. I think I like streamed them a couple times, but that was it. It wasn't until I started dating my wife, Allie, and she's a massive me without you fan. And so she was like, you've never listened to catch for us. And so, uh, it was like April of 2017. It was great. Like I went on like a work trip out to like North Carolina and I got the CD like right before I went out there. So I basically like had it like the whole like week to just like listen to catch for us. And like, I'm walking around like raleigh north carolina and it was it was a really like cool way to experience that record Hmm. so that was like what 
five something years ago. So yeah. pretty recent. And that's like because of her, like I got into the rest of me without used discography and had, we saw them a bunch of times and stuff. So my exposure go. to this record is pretty recent. Uh, I really love it a lot. It brother sisters, like the top one for me, I do think they've gotten, I really like untitled and I like pale horses, but I think this is probably like my second favorite me without you record. Mm, oh, wow. Yeah. I don't know. Second or third. It depends on the day. But Brother Sisters, the tops for me. So that's my exposure to this. It's kind of recent. Sweet. Mm. Okay. So I think I get, well, I mean, I think I know everyone's answer, but I guess we should maybe go around and predict whether we think this album's going to be a flop or a bop. I'll say it's a bop. It's going to be a bop. And for I listened to it. I listened to it like oh, yeah. in mid June because I was like, listening to a lot of their stuff right before their farewell tour so i've listened to it sense. very recently so yeah, sure yeah. Well. tj when was the last time you listened to this record mm, i think i was in france so like 2015 okay seven it's years ago bit. yeah and what do you think is it gonna be a flop or a bop it's gonna bop hard bruh okay and mason what about you when was the last time you listened to this record and do you predict when we listen to it all the way through, will it be a flop or a bop? Well, actually, when was the last time you listened to it? And then I want to hear your criteria over what makes an album a flop or a bop, because it's different for everybody. Entirely subjective. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, well, I listen to it so often. I honestly have no idea what when the last... It, it, I'm You're listening to it right now. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, yeah, I'm not even listening to you guys. I'm just listening to Seven Sisters right say? now. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I have no idea the last time I would listen, have listened to it, but mm. it for sure would have been this year. Like I, th this mm. is, a, you know, every In single Me Without You album, I at least listen to once a year. So I would right. imagine it's had to have been sometime this year. Uh, and then criteria for a really good album for me to, you know, to, to think of it as a bop, as an entire album, there needs to be some songs that are just catchy, right? Like the singles, right? There's that, right? And there is. There's a couple of those on, uh, on Catch for Us the Foxes, but they also need to be. Th this is the thing I think a lot of artists miss. They need to be ordered in a way where it just seems like the natural flow. And mm -hmm. Me Without You is actually really good with that. In fact, they would have kind of instrumentation that would go from one song to the next. Um, not as much on this album, but they have had that in in other albums. And so I think some that sort of flow really needs and, you know, to have yeah. um, the last couple songs to, you know, either have like something really catchy, which I think Paper Hanger was towards the end. Uh, yeah, sort of towards the end. Like uh, and then have like a song, la like a last song that either like crescendos really well or just is really somber mm -hmm. kind of leaves you on that note. But some like some sort of closer that just leaves you in a certain kind of place. And Me Without You was excellent at that. And true, yeah. this album, I think, does that really well as well. So they order it well. They've got a couple really, you know, catchy songs. And to me, that's the really big things to have for a really good boppy album. Mm -hmm. For sure. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, we talk about that a lot on this show of like narrative flow of albums, because so many of the ones that we like predicted were going to be bops that ended up not being. I feel like a lot of that kind of comes down to those albums are just front loaded. Yeah, they're sequenced poorly. Yeah, and then the last half is just kind of like, okay, I mean, you can forget about it. Sweet. That's awesome. Three bops. Guy Dog, what do you think, man? Yeah. What about you? Uh okay, guys. This is this might come as a surprise. Dun dun dun. I think I might flop this record. 
Okay. Wow. And why? Just, ba- okay. Just for the sake of controversy. J- just for the drama <laughs> of it. Now, I, I learned after our Emery episode where we all just agreed with each other. Was it week, was it week's end or question? No, the or question. We, we just did the okay. question like two weeks ago. And we just loved it. And it just it. came out today. And it was the most boring episode I've had to edit because we're all like, we were just damn, this album's so good. Yeah. Um, okay, but in reality, I'm not super familiar with this record. Mm. Um, I got in at Brother Sister. Mm. Uh, and then went back and listened to this and to me kind of keeping along with what Mason was saying of them progressing as a band this kind of felt like a lesser brother sister so I think a lot of times in my mind I was like yeah this is okay but I think I'd rather just listen to brother sister um, and then I kind of like continued on with them and just in reality I cannot tell you a song title from this besides January 1979. Yeah, so I, a little bit for the sake of drama, <laughs> I, I'm going to flop it, but uh, I'm excited to go back and like really give it some thought. But like I said, to me, it's always kind of been a little bit lesser because I like AB Life a lot. I like kind of how heavy and raw that is. And this feels like a really like, it's a real transition record between their like super heavy AB life sound and the sound. I feel like the kind of post hardcore thing that they brought in on brother sister. Hmm. But uh, Josh, how long is this record? Uh, it's probably 40, 40 to 50 minutes, 45 minutes and 59, 59 seconds. seconds. Okay. That's not too bad. That's like ideal record length. Yeah. I can do that. I can do that. Cause re- record length is part of a flopper bop for me with my ADD. I think I have time to dedicate 45 minutes to this record. So, And um, all the tracks, there are two that are over four minutes long, and there's one, Carousels, is 5.41. Okay. But it's but not like, the some, other tracks, some like Norma Jean 15-minute song bullshit. Correct. All the <laughs> okay. other tracks are like three minutes or less. Sweet. Okay. So Yeah, well, uh, I'm still going to say flop. I'm just predicting a flop. Do it. You can come at it. There'll be a redemption arc for, exactly. you, for this episode. Exactly. Yeah. But aspirational we'll bop, like we talked about. I'm hoping yeah. it'll be a bop. I think, ultimately, it might flop for me. All but right. that's okay, right? We all respect each other in our opinions, and we still love each other, even if one of Not us Not anymore. Disagrees. I okay, love Mason. That's fine. <laughs> that's fine. Mason, you can just take over. I quit. Uh, <laughs> you guys can just do the me without you jams now. Uh, yeah, I think that's going to be it. Uh, we're going to take a break. Uh, it's going to be a quick break for the listener. It's going to be a week break for us. But we're going to listen to 2004's Catch for Us, The Foxes. And when we get back, we will dive in and go track by track. Welcome back to another episode of Trivial Trivia. This is a segment where I share obscure and trivial information related to the album or artist we're discussing each episode. Earlier in this episode, I mentioned that Brad Wood produced Catch for Us, The Foxes, and Say Anything's 2007 record in defense of the genre. These two bands would go on to collaborate in the future. Aaron Weiss appears on the song Push on Say Anything's 2014 album Hebrews, and they both toured together in the spring of 2016, even releasing reworked versions of each other's songs. They aren't exactly covers, but more so songs directly inspired by a song from the other artist. Both Say Anything and Me Without You have songs in their catalogs that are sequels of other songs, so maybe that was kind of the idea here. Say Anything released a song called Torches Apart, obviously drawn from Torches Together, from the Me Without You record we're covering this episode. 
Me Without You released a song called Cleo's Fairy Cemetery, which draws from Say Anything's 2009 song Cemetery and is the song you're hearing right now. That does it for this episode of Trivial Trivia. Let's get back to Church Jams Now. Welcome back to Church Jams Now. You know, for the listener, I hope you enjoyed that short, sweet little break. Uh, We've had about a week hanging out, listening to Me Without You. Well, we haven't all been hanging out. We've just been doing our own individual things. I wish. We should do that. We should we do, do that, that instead. Just, just Sounds way better than whatever I did this last week. <laughs> yeah, what did you do, Mason? What did you do this last week? I don't even know all. Uh, I, I hung out with some company, uh, made some ravioli, and yeah, that's pretty much it. I mean, that sounds pretty rad. <laughs> company and ravioli. So we're going to go track by track, dive right into 2004's Catch for Us, The Foxes. Before we begin... Does anyone have any sort of general thoughts uh, that they want to talk about? Anything, impressions of the album? Did you listen to it while doing a super fun activity? Uh, Did you listen to it in a new and interesting way? I tried to catch a fox. Oh, there you go. That's That's probably the best way to listen to that. Can't think of a better way to do it. That's very true. Yeah. Yep. I I failed. But in, in all seriousness, I did walk around like a little trail system at this house that I'm sitting for and they have like all these trails in the woods. And I got to say, I think that is the way to listen to this album is just to wander around in the woods. I think so. I think that's the way Aaron Weiss intended most of his music to be listened to amongst the animals and performed. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. They helped. Exactly. I could totally see Aaron doing like the whole St. Francis of Assisi thing where he's just talking (laughs) and singing to animals. One Honda. For sure. (laughs) Oh, yes. I I do have, if we have anything that we need to refer to, I have my uh, vinyl copy of Catch for Us. Oh, candy. Can I steal that? Look at you. Uh, No, you may not. Oh, we got to add that to the (laughs) CJN drinking game when Josh shows off his physical media. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) It's research, guys. Uh I mean, you do have, like, I think the best or most extensive physical media library of anyone that I know. The high compliment. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. No All right, here we go. Track number one, Torches Together. What a great opener. That's exactly what that I wrote. Rules. It's such a good album opener. Like it feels like like a show opener too. Like it's just like mm, gets you pumped. It really does. I know we have like a pattern of just like talking about like overall album things like in the first like two tracks. But I just right. have to say like this at the beginning. It's hard to say who my favorite drummer is, but Ricky might be my favorite drummer. Like of Ricky's all time, incredible. Maybe of all time, I just love. He is for sure my favorite drummer to watch live. Oh, for he sure. Is, oh, he's live. He's incredible so fun. Live. But it's like once you've seen him live, I'm pretty sure you he's just, tripping live. He yeah, might be. <laughs> he you probably know. is. But once you've seen him live, like it's you just imagine him in the studio just doing everything he does live, just like just bashing on everything, and it's, it's so good. so good. I would say ninety percent of my notes are about the drums on this record. This he's, might be my favorite, my favorite drumming of any of the records we've covered thus far. Wow. Yeah. I've always said that Ricky might be the most underrated drummer in Tooth & Nail history. I mean, obviously, you're going to mm-hmm. have someone like Aaron yeah. Gillespie probably at the top. 
But my goodness, Ricky deserves to be in that conversation for some of the top tooth and nail drummers ever. Oh, 100%. 100%. You've convinced me. He's got my vote. <laughs> Aaron Gillespie, the, the thing with Aaron Gillespie, I think we talked about this a little bit on the Define the Great Line episode. The amazing thing about him is that he's singing while he's playing all of that, which is insane. And then who, who are the other great drummers we talked about? Uh, Emery. Their drummer was like surprisingly like... He's good. Super technical in a way that I didn't anticipate. But this is so good because it just it feels like all vibes. And you guys know I'm like the vibe guy. But it's so tight. (laughs) Yes. All of his little like his like quick little like uh, tom fills and stuff are just so tight. I love it. And creative. Mm -hmm. Like I feel like he's a creative player. Oh, absolutely. I mean, he's just his drumming totally fits the style of this band. Just the free flow Mm -hmm. of every instrument. He just totally fits it really well Mm -hmm. uh the only other drummer i can think of that definitely deserves to be in that like top three conversation is from the tooth and nail world is daniel davidson for sure oh Uh, yeah yeah Yeah. absolutely man we should do guys can we do just like at some point do a bonus episode where we just talk about drummers please i feel like we talk about i mean two of us like being drummers somewhat i think that's you know a valid conversation to have and since you're helping shape the conversation, Mason, we'll have to have you back for yeah. that. Nice. So get ready for it. <laughs> um, <laughs> one thing about this song that um, was really interesting to me was the instrumentation actually feels really simple. Uh, like it yes. all just kind of builds and it's kind of straightforward up until like it kind of gets really loud. But the guitar lines and stuff, I don't feel like there's like a ton of effects on the guitar, which for me, that's like, like usually me without you, it's like a lot of delay, like a lot of like phaser and chorus and stuff. And there is that in this song, but everything feels really simple, but like really effective in getting you into the vibe of this whole album. Yeah. I view them as like, I don't view them as like a very like effect heavy band, like where they're doing a like a lot of studio work. I feel like they can just bring like a simple board on the road and they can get all the sounds that they're doing on the record. For sure. Yeah, it's easy to achieve the their quote-unquote studio sound live because of that, which is cool. Yeah, especially yeah. this album in particular. Mm-hmm. It mm-hmm. feels very live. To its credit, because yeah. it works. I think. No, like, I, I think you... These, the first couple albums, AB Life, this album, really do... I, I think because they were such a new band still at that point, you really still hear that Fugazi influence. I mean, all of these guys are mm-hmm. super influenced by Fugazi. Yep. And I think the yes. first two albums, before they really, truly started to get to know their own sound, I think these two, these first two albums really have a Fugazi influence because I think they were still trying to figure out their own sound. But because 100%. of that, you get this really live but you type get the, of sound. the Fugazi ethos surrounding that too of just like, oh, absolutely. Just fucking do it. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, and if you can't play it, on the record then it's not going to go on the record you know what i mean like it's mm-hmm. feels very live and very immediate yeah the song also has a very linear feel where it's just kind of like like even the way it starts in with just kind of that little like squealy feedback and then it kind of starts here and it's grooving and then it gets bigger and then that drum break at like 242 and then the hand claps section mm-hmm. like kind of drops it to like send it into the stratosphere with that outro refrain it it's kind of you're like hiking up a mountain and when you get to the top it's just like a dance party yeah it's a cool way to write a song 
for sure. Josh, do you have anything? You've been oddly quiet. I feel like I've contributed. I do have a random <laughs> kind of, I have like this random tangent that connects to it. I think you'll enjoy, Kylan, is that okay. the feedback that opens this song uh-huh. is like, it fits perfectly like frequency wise with the ending of the song Noro by Brand New on their the last track of their album, Daisy. Oh, so nice. if you like cut out the singing at the end of Noro, you could like have Noro finish, that feedback happens, and it could like move perfectly into So it's a perfect transition torches. for a specifically post-hardcore DJ? Yes, yeah. If you're playing <laughs> probably the least popular Brand New record and you want to lead 100%. into Torches, then it would be perfect for that. I love that. It also is a perfect transition into the next song, January 1979. Look at Mason doing my job for me. I love it. This is what happens when you have a professional on. I love it. <laughs> but you're so right. The transition is seamless, and it keeps that energy high, which is awesome. I think that was a strong choice. Uh, listening through the whole album, like all the way through, this does make sense as like the big single to me. It feels like the best showcase of who Me Without You is, while also kind of fitting into a lot of other stuff that was happening around this time. Like this, a lot of the instrumentation and stuff reminds me of like Thursday. Mm. Um there's a real like Thursday vibe to this song. Mm-hmm. This also made me realize I hadn't really ever thought about it, but this song in particular, listening to it again, made me realize how much like the transition for me, like as I got older from like listening to post hardcore and then specifically me without you into like the national and the national being like my favorite mm-hmm. band makes so much sense because the national is just like this, but like way more chill. <laughs> right (laughs) it's like this on xanax it's like alligator era national yeah (laughs) i so i mentioned before that january 1979 is the first song i ever listened to by me without you i would Mm -hmm. maybe like like if there was a way to like uh like statistically mine through what are the songs i've listened to most in my life obviously you can do that a little bit more now with spotify but like I was listening to the song way before Spotify right, right. ever came about. So like if you, you know, were able to find it from like pure volume, MySpace, iTunes, YouTube, and, and obviously Spotify. <laughs> like if you if you actually like were able to f- compile all those plays from all those different platforms, I would say January 1979 might be the most listened to song in my entire life. In your entire life. Wow. 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 Yeah, I think this is the song I've listened to most intentionally. There might be some other songs that you just hear a lot when you're, you know, walking around and you hear them on the radio, but I think this song is intentionally the most listened to song in my life. Wow. That makes a lot of sense to me. What do you think that says about you, Mason? I mean... I mean, this whole song is about Aaron Weiss's failure of his life. So, I mean, maybe that says <laughs> a little bit about me. <laughs> uh huh. Because isn't it isn't it a reference to his birth? Yeah. Was yeah. It, was so it him and the original bassist were both born in January of 1979. So that's kind of the reference. Also, oh, wow. speaking of references, one of the things too. I've always loved about me without you is this song was sort of referenced again in their last album with uh, 729. And it's a similar, mm-hmm. you know, type of song. Uh, and yes. Me Without You did that really well 
Aaron would either reference lyrics back or song titles, something along those lines. Mm-hmm. You know, they had mm-hmm. um, Nice and Blue, nice blue and the Nice yeah. and Blue Part, part Two. two. Yeah. You know, they they did that a lot. And the other band that did that quite a bit was the Chariot. Uh, they they had mm-hmm. several songs throughout their career where they were referencing back two previous songs from other albums. And Me Without You did that really well and just really um, tastefully. Yeah, I'm mm-hmm. surprised more bands don't do that. Cause I feel like I feel like uh, specifically like like filmmakers and stuff will throw in you know have like cameos from people that were in their previous movies or have specific lines or like things that they throw in but I feel like you don't get that as much in in music but I love that yeah I like that as like a nice callback though yeah it is I feel like you have to do it really gracefully if you're gonna do it maybe there's it more be, of a stigma in music about yeah it. it could come off as like heavy handed. Or like too self-referential. I I agree with you, Mason. I think Me Without You is a great example of that being done very expertly. There's a finesse that they have to it. Mm-hmm. It doesn't feel too pushy. You know, you're like, oh, oh, right, that's a reference. It's like the the third or fourth time you listen to Nice and Blue Part Two, you're starting to think about how it relates back mm-hmm. to the original song or something. And something with Aaron's writing and lyrical style, you're just like. Yeah, it totally makes sense that you would do that. Like the way that guy writes, unlike anyone, almost anyone else Mm -hmm. that you're like, I'm totally cool with you writing bolt to binary part two. Right. Right. I, something I really loved about this song that I noticed is that like the way it transitions from the first chorus into the second verse, like oftentimes that's a little tricky. Like you have your big first chorus and then like people bring it down or like you, you're like, we have to do a second verse because it's how music works. And sometimes you're like, it doesn't feel necessary or whatever, but when they go into that second verse, it's like the energy only builds from that mm. first chorus. Like it just is like an immediate transition, but like you're automatically like, oh yeah, it's the second verse and you're, they have that real driving Yeah, verse. you get that drum roll that goes right, like just, mm-hmm. oh yeah. yeah. launches into yeah, it. Yeah, so it's just yeah. like, it's like other bands and there's other songs that sometimes just like the song just like ups and downs, but like that's like, oh, first verse, first chorus was here and then second verse is even like higher and you don't even like yeah. realize what just happened. Just it up and up. Yeah, and you don't question it because they just do it so effortlessly. You're like, this works? Yeah. I was going to say, we've got a lot of, um, I didn't really mention lyrics in the first song, but um, in this one, there's there's like a little bit of a reference to kind of um, this idea of, like he, he gets a little existential, right? And and we'll see that kind of across the album, I think. But the what he says in, in this song that really kind of threw me this time that I've never really tracked like this um, was... I was floating in a peaceful sea rescued by a sinking ship. Okay, that lyric always like hit me in a really cool way. I always thought it was really interesting. But um, I think I I was like trying to figure out what he was referencing. And I saw somewhere somebody referenced like that it's he's talking about being in the womb. And the the peaceful sea is like his mother's womb Mm. and being rescued by a sinking ship being his parents because they're just like flawed humans trying to figure out life. And they're not necessarily like they don't necessarily have their act together, but like this kind of irony of being, quote unquote, rescued by a sinking ship. I was like, man, that's really dark. But the line is so cool. Like, I don't know. It almost makes it work even more like in my mind. Yeah, no, that's so good. There was a lot of like really dark stuff on this record that I didn't, you know, as someone that doesn't ever pay attention to lyrics and specifically 
the way he delivers lines, I don't ever really think about what he's saying, but like sitting down and like reading all the lyrics as I'm going through the record, like, damn, this is like, there's some dark super stuff. Super dark, but super yeah. good. Yeah. I really like the line. Uh, My life is a cup of sugar I've borrowed before time began and forgot to return. That's just so good. Yes. Yes. So good. I wrote that down it too. Rules. I love yeah. that. Yeah. This one, because oftentimes we'll delve into lyrics, but like with this, there's only, there's like too many different things that you can, like we could, you could really write a book about Aaron's lyrics, like all the different like things that he's talking about. And somebody whatnot. did, I think. I think they did. <laughs> I think you're right. But I was going to say earlier, if we have like a song that has like a biblical reference, sometimes I'll be like, oh, this is from the Bible or whatnot. But like for this record, I was very intimidated <laughs> to do that because one, it's me without you. And two, I don't really want to do that in front of Mason because Mason's going to be like, <laughs> actually, this philosopher said this and this theologian wrote this thing. So I was like, you're afraid he's going to take you to I task, was like, Josh. I'll let Mason handle that if he really wants to. <laughs> I'm actually not much of a lyrics guy either. So I, I just love like the irony that Aaron has throughout all of his lyrics. But mm-hmm. I really, I'm like you, I'm just like, there's too much to try to understand. So I'm yeah. not even going to attempt. Yeah, this one, lazy. this one was like, was hard the same way, Josh, we talked about when we did the question. It's like, this album is so dense. It's like, it was actually really hard to write notes for because you just kind of want to get carried away and just like, you know, it's a very vibe heavy record and you just want to kind of like hang out and listen to it. Yeah, a lot of times yeah. in some of the records we cover, there you can there's not a ton going on, so you can pick out like a couple things in the song you like. Where at this point, at, at, at any point in the song, there's like five things going on. Like I could write about this, I could write about that. Right. Like, <laughs> where, do you, where do you go from there? Yeah, yeah. I be, because of that, I gave it uh, specific listens that were devoted to vibe and listens that were devoted to lyrics. So I got I got some lyric notes, but I don't. I also don't want to bore anybody. So. You're not going to bore we can, anybody. We can this, go vibe this, heavy this is, if we want to. This is an entire <laughs> podcast delving into specific music production and lyrical content of That's true. <laughs> music. You're not wrong. So if you're going to bore anybody, then we're making the wrong podcast. Uh, let's move on to track number three, Tie Me Up, Untie Me. It really is. This is that same drum beat I was telling you all about in Emery that I steal all the time. <laughs> yes. <laughs> every time I, I thought every about time that. I get behind a drum kit, I think this is what I start playing. Yep. Uh, the mix feels different on this song than the first two songs. Did y'all notice that? Did y'all pick up on that? How so? The drums feel a lot looser. There's a lot more like uh, room tone. Mm-hmm. Everything feels kind of backed up a little bit. The first two songs feel really tight. So I was wondering if someone else mixed those first two songs because they feel a little bit different than the rest of the record. Hmm. I don't know if anyone else picked up on that. So it does say that Brad Wood was the main, obviously, producer, um, and he obviously did mixing too, but it looks like he had an assistant as well who was also Hmm. doing mixing. So I don't know, maybe there was kind of a one of them mixing and the other wasn't. Or I I don't know if they just like, I don't know if they did it on purpose to like maybe ease people in because... Like like the drum production feels a lot tighter. Like like this feels kind of a little more slushy, kind of trashier. Mm-hmm. But I like it. I like absolutely love it. Once again, the drums are 
so fucking good on this record. <laughs> it works for this song, yep. right? Like this, this is the right mix for the song. Uh, this is my first call out of sweet, sweet bass. The first sweet, sweet bass wondering. on the record. The bass on this record is so good too. Yeah, it is. Uh, but it feels heavier in the mix. This is another thing compared to the first two songs. The bass feels a lot more prominent. I don't know if it's because the guitar is maybe doing a little bit less, but hmm. uh, the bass and yeah. drums really carry this song forward. I like that sort of phaser thing that the guitar just did. Mm-hmm. I think it's at 136 or something. I don't know. It's so simple, but it's just like kind of moving into the stratosphere. Yeah. I, 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 I dug it. Again, talking about dark stuff, like there's lots of references to dealing with depression and suicide in this song. As I often feel when I listen to this album, I just want to give Aaron a big hug, <laughs> but... It's also really, I don't know, he threads this interesting needle of like talking about, yeah, kind of like dark stuff dealing with suicide, but also like existentialism and like mysticism. Like in this song, he references like a Rumi poem. I think he also references a Smith's song. It's just, he's he's just like reference heavy in a cool way that brings a lot of kind of disparate thoughts or different like different concepts that you wouldn't normally connect together i feel like Mm -hmm. aaron has always kind of been really good at that and when somebody else might try it and you notice and you feel like it's kind of it's not cohesive i feel like he is he does this thing masterfully where he just like connects them all in a way that you're like oh yeah this makes sense kind of combining a lot of disparate ideas he is one of the most well-read lyricists i've ever Yes. Encountered, uh, or at least demonstrates that he's well read. <laughs> right. And he's just so good at it. it. It's funny, you know, he referenced a lot of, you know, references a lot of biblical passages, references mm-hmm. philosophers, theologians, poets, etc. And the funny thing is, like, he did get a PhD, but it's like in urban education or something. <laughs> right, right. Like, just something mm-hmm. very different than clearly what he's been reading throughout his, his life interest. that has influenced yeah. his lyrics. So I find that so interesting that whatever he was doing an entire PhD on, likely none of that, or at least none of what he re- read for that, doesn't seem to later on in the the later albums really get uh surface in his lyrics for those later albums uh but i just find that so funny he clearly is well read with all these different types of thinkers (laughs) he just ends up like doing something entirely different from all of that yeah well because i thought too it's been so long since i've seen it but i don't know if you guys have seen there's a 1989 film by pedro almodovar who I, I don't i'm definitely butchering that name but he's like he's a director i absolutely love but he has a film called tie me up tie me down mm. and it's got mm-hmm. uh, the exclamation marks in the same place and so i wasn't sure if this title was kind of referencing that i couldn't find a lot of stuff between like what that movie's really about and what this song is about i couldn't really find a ton of things but it felt like it feels like a reference to that which that's a good movie by the way in espanol oh yeah right? Yeah, yeah. It's uh, Antonio Banderas. Nice. Doing a bunch of cool stuff. Nice. I'm glad you brought that up. I was going to ask you. Yeah, I I couldn't find anything specifically. But I mean, that's the thing is like, is like Aaron Wright's, you know, it's so kind of abstract that I'm sure that there's something in there that I'm missing. That's a reference to that film. Definitely. This is my favorite song on the record. Is it? Really? It really is. I think this was my favorite when I first started listening to the record. Yeah, mm-hmm. I'm curious what everyone else's is, but this one just, yeah, it's the mix, the drums are just like 
trashy and big and that bass just like carries everything all the way through lyrically yeah. it gets really dark and then it like they go into like this jam at the end yeah it's so good yeah it's a really that, jammy that record. jam is like it's like kind of metal but mm-hmm. not it's like low-key metal yeah. it never gets actually it's like pseudo metal mm-hmm. pseudo speaking metal, of that yeah. jam i forgot to mention on january 1979 they have like a chill outro jam at the end mm-hmm. and we're gonna be counting them because most of this album has like the last minute is just a straight jam. Just so this jam, is the yeah. second one in a row. That's true. There's a lot of that. Well, guys, let's move on to track number four, Leaf. If you fail to see a problem, which I find hard to believe, or if you're hanging on the branches, licking honey from the leaves, you say the hopelessness of living and the childishness of suicide and the call of my brother. I that too, and there's a couple of them that have jams at the beginning. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I said this song is Groove City. Mm-hmm. Okay, here's something that I've always kind of like. My only like issue with this record is that a couple of these songs in the middle tend to kind of just like all run together for me. And we talked about that on Define the Great Line, the first four tracks, how you can kind of how they kind of like just flow in and out of each other. And you can yeah. do that as a positive or a negative. So there's four songs. The, this song and the next three songs kind of all are that to me. Like at any point, I'm like, I don't know which one I'm really listening to. Even yeah. though I've listened to this record dozens of times, these ones, they're not too much in between them that stand out for me. That's very true. Since Rings of Power came out, I was like, this is like, this is my favorite of the four. But I was like, this is, to put it in an analogy, it's like when the hobbits are going into Mirkwood Forest <laughs> and it's like they're going to get lost and things are going to get crazy. But Leaf is like when they go in and they're still on the path and you can kind of see outside, like you can still see outside the forest, but you're getting in deeper. So this is like this is my favorite song of the four, but it's like it's entering into this era where this this part of the record where i'm like i don't know which is one song and right it all kind of blends together yeah Yeah. so that's like been Mm. one of the only flaws i've really ever had with this record i get that if i was to do an alternate Mm. track list this is one that i think i would cut oh i like this one oh man yeah well sorry guys wow i'm ruthless (laughs) i'm ruthless with the alternate track list you're being consistent so i respect that oh i'm nothing if not wait what, what did i say inconsistently consistent correct uh, this, yeah. this has some cool organ. Yeah. And more sweet, sweet bass. Those are my only notes, really. It does have sweet Oh, and the jam is too long. At the end? Yeah. Well, I think because you have the jam mm. in the beginning, too. It just That's feels true, yeah. all little... It makes the song feel twice as long to me. I think the reason I don't... I, like, haven't felt this, that way with this album, like you guys are describing, is... I don't know. It, it's making me think about the way that I consumed music in 2004, I was such a, I mean, and I still am this way, but because of like the fact that the the way that I heard this album first was a CD, right? So like, I just would accept like, I'm going to push play on track one and I'm just going to accept however long the runtime is of this album. Right, that's just what I'm going to sit here doing. and I'm just going to immerse myself in it and I'm going to let the album be the album. And I agree, Josh, like I couldn't have told you this song was called Leaf. I didn't know that. But I like kind of let it wash over me amongst all the other tracks in the middle that do, to your point, kind of you lose the plot a little bit. Like it it just feels like one kind of sea change into another. It's very ambiguous. But I've always 
enjoyed the ride, even if I'm a little lost in Mirkwood. Like, I'm like, this is interesting, walking through the forest. I don't know what's about to happen, but I'm here for it. It's like, I agree with you, but I, I don't see it as a negative. I've, I just kind of go with the flow, I guess. I can dig that. Mason, you have anything on, on Leaf? Um, you, well, you guys kind of mentioned a little bit of like the jam session that the song starts with and then ends with. And it's funny, today, after I listened to Catch for Us the Foxes, I listened to AB Life. And they have a lot of that jamming nice. out mm-hmm. in AB Life. And what I really appreciate about this album, and it's highlighted in Leaf, is how mature that they're getting in that sort of a jam session type of their song um, writing. They really, for this song in particular, it's very atmospheric towards the end. And you get a lot of these little layers and textures that you don't quite hear in AB life. And so you just hear this kind of progression and maturity in that kind of jamming out part of their songwriting, which I really appreciate. Yeah, I I think this does kind of go back to what you were saying in part A about how every record they kind of like stepped up like musically and just emotionally like yeah it just felt like every album was uh better than the one before i think that's cool Mm. i could totally see that on this yeah also this song has a sick uh kierkegaard reference Mm -hmm. sick kierkegaard reference to his to his uh well-read state had to put that out there (laughs) go to skr (laughs) yeah welcome to skr now (laughs) Karis One's brother. (laughs) (laughs) All right, let's listen to track number five, Disaster Tourism. I think this is the their most underrated song on the album. Hmm. This song goes hard. I really like this song too. Uh, I love how uh, production wise, uh, it feels like they just put the mics way far away from the amps. Mm. Uh, you get a ton of that room tone. A lot of room sound. Yeah, yeah, I love that. That is cool, especially because of like how tight. Like it just it kind of feels like yeah. I kind of like Josh's little Lord of the Rings analogy with Merkwood. Like it feels like it started off like really tight and then everything kind of opens up in the middle and then tightens back down at the end. Yeah. I do have a negative note. So I don't always love Aaron's singing when he's just kind of like singing like this. It feels... What about it? it what about well, it? Do you know like... It feel... Uh, I, I'm not always opposed to it. And the thing is like, I don't, I don't, it's not that like I hate it or anything, but it's really like dirgy. Like it feels like very yes. funeral dirge kind of like he, he does that kind of, it's a little monotone. And sometimes it just like, it feels like it kind of makes things drag a little bit, but I mean, he very quickly goes into the kind of yelly thing. Yeah. The energy lifts mm-hmm. in that break in the song. And Ricky kicks in with that sick drum beat. So good. The drums are so good. So fucking good on this record. <laughs> um, when I've seen them play this live, that like part right there where it was like, dun, dun, he, R- Ricky actually really slows that down from the album recording of it. Cool. And it's like, yeah. it just builds it up even more. It was, it's so great. I love any time a band isn't afraid 
to do something a little weird in the very middle of a song like that live that's gonna throw people off but it actually in retrospect you end up remembering it and loving it like yeah. exactly that's a nice touch that's like i don't know that gets a performance cred right from me nice. as an artist mason you said this is the most underrated song on the record right yeah, I think so. I would say it's not my favorite song on the record, but I think it is certainly underrated. Um, you don't hear a ton of people talking about like their favorite song, uh, whether it's their entire discography or even this album. You don't hear a ton of people saying that my favorite is Disaster Tourism. But I think yeah, it should be true. at least in the conversation, even though it's not even my favorite. But I just think it's really underrated. I think it's yeah. my favorite song title on this record. It's mm-hmm. a great name. I was going to say, yeah, they, they've got some really good song titles. Agreed. They feel interesting. Like, I don't know. They, they, they found this balance of like, this could either be entirely like overthought or just like they kind of threw something out there. But there's like a nice mix like of leaf. that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Here's, a, here's a leaf. Yeah. Have we gotten to your favorite song, Mason? Not yet. Oh, okay, cool. TJ, Josh, we haven't gotten to y'all's either. All right, we already passed Not mine, yet. so I'm already checked out. Here we go, track number <laughs> six. You can get off the ride now. <laughs> Seven Sisters. I just wrote, oh shit, this is so oh. good. <laughs> it's great. <laughs> this is like the song where I like realize like how much delay, at least like early Me Without You uses. And I think it's like particularly their lead guitarist, Chris Kleinberg. Um, mm-hmm. from what he was using a lot. And I, I really like the way that, and I think what, some of the reasons why I really love Catch For Us and Brother Sister are the way that Chris and Mike's guitar playing kind of, goes against each other because i feel like mike is very angular and riffy and pretty dry in his playing where Mm. chris is just very like smooth has a lot of delay effects that like have like sustained notes and it makes like for a very ethereal kind of mix so you kind of get like there's like mike on the left doing his like riffy angular thing and then uh chris on the other side on the right just like filling it out with like some like delay washy delay trim parts and stuff. And it makes for a really interesting mix, which I like with that sweet, sweet bass, sweet, sweet bass holding <laughs> down the middle, man. This is another one with some sweet, sweet bass. Definitely. It's so good. I feel like this has one of the, for me, one of the signature me that you things is triplet accents where they'll go into mm-hmm. a jam right there. And then the drums and the bass do that dot, 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 like, they, I feel like they do a, a lot of that, which is always super cool. I'm always here for triplets. Yes, you are. <laughs> I love triplets and halftime, man. And just even these little guitar accents that they're doing here. I mean, there, there's just so many of those. There, I don't know what the effect is. I, you guys know guitar way more than I do, but there's that like weird, like you already heard, it's like a screeching thing that they do. Um, it, it started, it, it happened like right before this little jam session here started. Um I'll see if I can point it out another time I hear it, but they do that a lot. And they started really doing it a lot on pale horses. Mm. Mm. Right. That, like that, that, 
That feels very like Pixies kind of like that. Mm-hmm. Light, that that like, like, little, like, like right before that started, whatever yeah. that little guitar effect is, they do a lot of that like type a pinch of thing. Harmonic they, or something? Yeah. And it, I don't know when they really, I, I really think they started it a lot more on Pale Horses. Okay, you horses. hear it a lot. Um, if you ever watch that audio tree uh, live version that, uh, so that good. they did back like <laughs> six or seven years ago, you you see too. it a lot happening then too. Hmm. Um Actually, I think it, it might have been Greg that did a lot on his bass. If I remember watching them live, whenever I would hear it happen, it usually was Greg on his bass doing it. He is, yeah. Actually. I think he's like always doing like swells and like doing stuff on his bass suit that really add to everything. Is it like a bass harmonic? Yeah, he's doing like real like oh, lead stuff. He could be doing a harmonic. harmonic on the bass. Yeah, could Which be. It's pretty rad. That is. I'm all for harmonics. Uh, I have a music theory question. The jam they do at the end, do they do one bar of 6-8 and one bar of 5-8? I didn't Ooh. count. But you're Josh, you didn't right. count? I didn't Come on. count. I'm, I'm sorry. like never the counting guy. You're always the <laughs> counting guy. And then I counted and no one else gives a shit. Right there. That's 5-8. I think it's 6-8, 5-8. Eight, eight. Yeah, it's alternating six, between 5-8 and 5-8. That's eight. so weird. Mm-hmm. That's so weird. I love that though. I like, it's it's so like good. It gives a nice like push to the Yeah, Manchester, the Manchester and As Cities Burn, I feel like do that a lot too. Yep. Do those jams that are like one bar of six eight and then five eight. Specifically, uh what's the first track on Come Now Sleep? Contact. Contact. Contact, Contact does that. Yeah. It does that jam yeah. at six eight and five eight. And it's so weird. Yeah. I think it's a great touch to add to the end of a song. As you guys have mentioned, they they like to do a lot of jams. And this could kind of fall to the wayside or be forgettable or boring. Mm-hmm. But the time signature change, like the six against five thing kind of keeps the ear locked in and keeps it interesting keeps it fun so yeah 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 this was the fifth song that ended in a one minute jam at the end five in a row five five for six five for six (laughs) all right so we're halfway done let's move on to side b i guess track number seven the soviet I like that this faded in. You hear a lot of fade outs. You don't hear a lot of like fade ins mm-hmm. on yeah, a song. And it didn't true. just feel like someone was like playing and then everyone kind of joined in. It feels like the volume is just like faded in continuously, which is pretty hmm. rad. Yeah, I didn't notice that. This song felt super cinematic to me too, in general. Speaking of cinema, Kylan, I have a question for you. Okay. Do you know what the first line is in reference to? I don't. I don't remember what the first line is. Oh man, you're gonna lose your mind. I'm gonna lose my mind. Josh, do you know? I do, but you you oh, present man. it. You go for it. Okay. God is love, and love is real. Mm-hmm. That line is used at the end of the Ingmar Bergman film, through a glass. Through darkly. a glass darkly. Shit. Fuck. It. It is. Fuck. That's also, so good. Oh, you're it is right. Also referenced at the end of Bergman's film Winter. Light. Light. Yeah, because those are all part of the trilogy, his his religion trilogy. Fuck, yes. I did not catch that. Winter <laughs> I literally and named an album after Winter Light. It's my favorite movie. How did I not catch that? Yeah, the line is used in Through a Glass Darkly as evidence that God exists and that right. life is good. Have any of y'all seen Through a Glass Darkly? No. 
Mason, have you seen Through a Glass Darkly? I have not. Okay, you got to check out Ingmar Bergman's Religion Trilogy. It's um, Through a Glass Darkly and Winter Light. I don't remember the third one, but there are three films he did back to back in the 60s that are all about existential dread and whether God is real or not. Yeah, Winter Light theological lens. is so good. It's about like a, a small town preacher who like loses his faith. And then a guy comes to him with questions about like the nuclear war. And he's like, who fucking knows? It's all made up. And then that guy kills himself. And so then this preacher is like trying to figure out. It's it's all uh, it's through a glass darkly is so good. It, there's a one weird incest scene, but there's like spider. <laughs> there's like a weird, like trippy, like uh, spider scene. And it's like all about how whether like is God real or not. It's so fucking good. Sorry, the spiders bring us back to Murkwood, guys, as we're finishing our <laughs> journey through Murkwood. <laughs> We're we're coming out of the woods. We are, but no. I just I had to I had to mention that. I didn't know if you knew about that reference. But I didn't the line even pick is that used, up. yeah, sort of genuinely in Through a Glass Darkly. But then he mm. flips it and uses it sarcastically in Winter Light because, right. like you said, the character is a little sort of jaded. That's so and good. Uh, yeah, I, I thought you'd appreciate that. Also, this song has our the album title in it, right? Correct. Mm-hmm. That's worth noting. Not a true title track, but an inferred, I guess. Which we've talked about that before. Right. That I always love when albums are named after lyrics within songs instead of like a specific song title. The song That's itself, really cool. yeah. The Soviet feels like a weird song title name for me without you song though. For me, mm. that one's always stood out. Like, huh? But that could just be me. I wonder if it's because people think of Aaron as like a just a dirty communist or something. Maybe, you know, it maybe does fit. Like if we're talking about all the Ingmar Bergman films, like maybe it kind of goes along with that. I could see, right. Not that I've watched any, but that at least makes sense to me. But also worth noting that the, the line, the, um, please catch for us. The foxes in the vineyard, the little foxes is taken from song of Solomon Mm -hmm. chapter two, verse 15. And it's this metaphor for things that could ruin his love for his beloved, the narrator. And so, yeah, I, I don't know. It's like, is Aaron talking about God as the beloved and the, and the foxes ruining everything or like the worldly pleasures that are distracting him from that? Because that, there's a lot of themes throughout this record that sort of point to that idea of like this conflict between like the world around him and like the the divine beyond our comprehension. Cool. I don't, All know, right. I don't know. I can't, I can't give you anything <laughs> there, TJ. I'm sorry. I it's stepped away so I can... Uh... It's okay. Mason, any any relevant thoughts? If not, we can move on. That's okay. It was one it's the second song now that doesn't have a jam out yes. outro. Yeah, that's true. I'm still They finally did it. I'm still <laughs> reeling over that Bergman reference that I didn't catch. All right, here we go. Next track. Track number eight, Paper Hanger. Hanger with an E, not an A. Someone who hangs paper, not a place to store paper. Not like right. a hanger, like an airplane hanger of paper airplanes. Correct. This right. musically feels really like like 90s rock, like a little grunge influence, kind of like mm-hmm. Pixies. But specifically that intro feels like almost like 90s alternative rock. I really like how it like 
major this one is immediately. Like, I feel like it, like, oh, we've already used that metaphor a lot, but this is where, like, it's really easy to be like, okay, this is a different sound. We're, we're kind of, like, coming to a different part of the record, it feels like. This kind of breaks you up out of the haze, I feel like, of the last four tracks, at least for me. Yep. So I'm curious, Mason, is this your favorite song on the record? It is my favorite song. Ah, it is. And what I love about it is just think about like how the song started and then knowing what's going to happen at the end. Like it seems like two different songs. And that's one of the things I love about it is it's just, right. it sounds completely different. Uh, the sound from the beginning to the sound at the end. Yeah. Yeah. And this, like this chorus, I feel like is something that you would have expected a band like me without you to be doing a lot where they're kind of got like some, like someone kind of doing some singing. not that Heron doesn't have clean vocals, but like some singing vocals and Aaron mixed with that but they don't really do that a lot in the rest of their discography. Mm-hmm. No, but I always love it whenever they, they do it like in Oh Porcupine too. Like I love whenever Aaron is kind of put alongside another singer. Yes. Like it's always so good. I mean, that's why yeah. like, um, it's why Memphis is Memphis. So good. Exactly. Memphis that's what I was yeah. about to say. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's, uh, that's exactly why it's like a unique version of vocal doubling mm-hmm. when like a person sings twice or, over the same yeah. line, but even more dynamic, I guess. So good. Speaking of dynamic, I love that pre-chorus where just like we're just gonna have like a musical chill break and that guitar line. Like it's so simple, but it's just like the perfect part for that mm-hmm. part of the song. Mm-hmm. Yeah, th- this song, like compared to kind of how Jamie, like you know, tracks four through seven are, this feels a little tighter. Uh, like everything feels a little more intentional and less kind of like jamming out, even though they have those like jam moments. It's so good. Those toms are so good, dude. Mm-hmm. Mm, I can listen to those toms all day. I like that bass part too. Do you love those so, toms so as much groovy. as you love the toms on Bless the Martyr? Don't get me started with the <laughs> fucking drums on Bless the Martyr, dude. <laughs> this song is so good. I, I had this as a note on the last song. But, uh, you know, I stepped away for a second. I don't think he does it specifically in this song, but I don't know. I I just had a question about me without you in general. Has anyone ever calculated how many times Aaron has talked about stones and trees and bugs? (laughs) And food? And food. Yeah, like those are like, like, I just want to know how many times he says stones and something about trees. That's so good. Better question. Is there a me without you song that does not reference an animal of some sort. Yeah. It's a good question. Here we go. Oh, this is so much fun live. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Although, uh, the last time I saw them live was for Josh, our friend Joe's, uh, bachelor party when he got married. And it was around the time that this came on that I realized I was like too old to be in the pit anymore. <laughs> I was like, I just want to sit in the back with a beer. And I, yeah. I tried so hard and I was so excited. And I was like, Oh my god, this like hurts so I much. Can't do it. Ouch. <laughs> yeah, you just headbang a little bit. Yeah. Oh, so and, good. And and think about the 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 days of yesteryear when you were able to throw down in the pit. Yeah, I started thinking about bugs and trees and <laughs> sticks. Stuff. Uh, Josh or TJ, have we done either of y'all's favorite song yet? No. That is very interesting. DJ, Not yet. What if we have the same favorite song, DJ? Oh man, what if we do? That'd be cool. But. I do love that we've got another roomy reference on this song. It's kind of perfect. As well as a reference to the Gnostic Gospel of Thomas. 
I mean, that feels like I'm, the most... I'm sorry. I'm just being nerdy the here. The most like, me without you thing ever. I'm reference, man. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It absolutely is. Sweet. Well, let's move on to track what? 16? What is this? Track 9. My Exit Unfair. <laughs> I love this guitar intro. Mm-hmm. Vibey. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, just like delay and tremolo and just let it ring. And that's why, I like, I like trying to, like, listen and, like, try to figure out, okay, which, like, guitar part do I think is Chris? Which one do I think is Mike? I think this intro is mm. Chris. But then, like, that little, like, that main riff that comes in, that sounds like a very Mike riff. There's a great live video of this song that's a drum cam of Ricky, and it's just so cool to like see him do his thing on this song. I bet oh, it's man. awesome. That's the thing I'm going to miss most about you, me without you being gone. It's like I love just going and watching Ricky play the mm. entire time. Yeah. He's a trip. He really is. Like He, he kind of looks like he's in a trance when he plays drums. I think he is. Like I think he's kind of on another plane of existence. How he's so good. Yeah, that's the thing is like me without you feel seems to me to be like the only band that like rides that line between I can't tell if they're like a super technical band or they're just super vibey. You know what I mean? Because they're playing some like really complicated stuff, but it seems to just all kind of just like come from their feeling. Mm -hmm. Which is I think they're like a perfect synthesis of both. Yeah, I know. It's like crazy. I kind of love it. That's a great way to think about it. I would it. guess that they're more on the vibey side that just like by chance just happen to sound technical because they're right. so vibey. Yeah. This was something I was thinking about because like I'm not super knowledgeable about like a lot of like the spoken word kind of like artists, like your listener and your like Levi the Poet and that like kind Bradley of stuff. Hathaway. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that kind of stuff. But I'm like, I think what makes me without you stand out uh, amongst them is the musicianship of the mm. rest of the band and like they're like even if it wasn't aaron weiss singing they would still be i feel like probably almost maybe maybe not without aaron but pretty close to as popular as they are because yeah. musically they're just so interesting mm-hmm. and at the same time they'd be such a different band it's true Very. like the, i agree i think they would be huge still but like Oh man, I think I what 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 makes them stand out in my mind and what makes them such a great band is the combination of his strange strange vocal stylings and the musicianship, like the solid musicianship in the band. It's that combination that like makes them such a compelling band for me. Agreed. That kind of brings me though to a point that I I felt i kind of wish they had done like a couple just straight instrumental tracks Mm. to kind of break it up a little bit yeah Yeah, this is one of the few albums that doesn't have something like that right ab life has it brother sister has those Uh uh-huh i don't think it's all crazy does trying to know but that one's does 10 stories have a Uh, i don't think 10 but then entitled does right untitled has a few yeah. Um, 
I don't think Pale, Pale Horses. Horses does. And yeah, I don't know. If, but yeah, the, they had at least a few albums that did. So it's interesting that that's not something that was consistent throughout every single album. Right, right. Well, specifically for like how jammy some of these songs get. Like, I don't know. I, I just because uh, like his vocal style is like so specific. I, th- I think mm-hmm. having a couple just like straight songs that are like just jams could be pretty cool i don't know yeah uh let's move on to track number 10 guys we're just rocking and rolling we are four letter word also that song had a bob dylan reference tj you gotta speak up faster on the references man (laughs) I'm t- You're the reference Sorry. guy this episode. Okay. Uh, I love this song. We still haven't hit either of y'all's favorite songs yet. We have. Is this your favorite song? Oh, TJ. It's so good, dude. Tell me why, TJ. Please. So I love the fact that he took a Christian hymn, which was actually an appropriated black gospel, and subverted it. Right. And calls out to doubters and pretenders and invites them just like this idea of like sinners like oh okay if you're in this certain group and you understand like the theological implications of being a part of this certain group then you understand what it means to be a sinner Mm -hmm. but like if you're not you don't but this song is like so it's actually i i find it really inclusive and kind of incredible and like even when i I don't know, was like a little youth group kid. I was like, oh, yeah, I relate to this more than like the hymn version or any ideas that of being a sinner. I relate to being a doubter. I relate to being a pretender, like so much more than this idea of like a sinner. I don't know. So I I love that about it. Also, the song just goes hard. It's so good. Yes, it does. The yeah, the whole like, let's go down, down to the river to pray interpolation is just like so good. Yes. And the outro section lyrically is also like kind of perfect. Like it's dense, but it's not intimidating somehow. Like it's not, I don't know. It's not like daunting. It's just like, I just think it's beautiful. That sounds like the exact, like the perfect reason why it's your favorite song. Like there's like the most TJ (laughs) song on the record, which makes total sense. True. Also, there's a Morrissey reference. (laughs) Which one? The wielding a bicycle chain. Uh, was that a, like a Discharming Man kind of reference? I don't remember which song it was. I just tracked that it was a Morrissey reference okay. and, and moved on Dang. With, <laughs> with my reference life. Let me look it up. I'll find Man, it. Man, revoke my Smith's fandom for missing a, Smith's, a Morrissey reference. <laughs> this isn't my favorite song on the record, but it has my favorite lyrics on the record. Oh, yeah? What do we got? The when he's saying we have all our beliefs, but we don't want our beliefs. God of peace, we want you. Yes, that's that's a great great line and a great perspective to have on everything. Don't get wrapped up in beliefs and all that. But that's it. Yeah, that's that section I was talking about. I think yeah. it just works so good. so good. He so, also so talks good. about rocks. <laughs> put another one. Put another rock tally up. Put another rock tally. <laughs> Mason, do you have any thoughts on four letter word? I just love this uh, vocalization. Uh, I, f- I forget what kind of singing this is, but I just think it's so interesting. Mm-hmm. Is it a... Oh, gosh. Yeah, I don't want to embarrass myself by 
by pronouncing something wrong. But yeah, I love it too. Is this the guy from the Salters? It is. Okay. Yes. Scotty Kruger, according to the liner notes. There you go. Just to circle back, it's such a little thing makes such a big difference on Bona Drag. Oh, yes. That's the Morrissey reference. Dang. So good. God, the bass is so good, guys. So good. <laughs> it really is. This is turning into the question all over again. We're <laughs> <laughs> just like, yeah, this song's good. Yep, I agree. Yep. It was a very pleasant and boring conversation. <laughs> exactly. So we have <laughs> Me Without You's sequel songs. This was the first sequel song for them because Forward Letter showed up on... Uh, Their demo. What is it? Yeah, the... I, w- yeah. Don't I think it's me. just it's called Demo, Brave. right? Oh, no, it's on the... It probably is, but then it was on there. What's that Brave EP? Uh, brave, the, yeah, something about. I never said I was brave. I or never something said I was brave. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So that's the first one that showed up, and then we have Nice and Blue Part Two on Brother Sister, Bolt to Binary Part Two on It's All Crazy, and do we count D Minor on Pale Horses as like a because they had C Minor? I would. Oh, I Brother think so. Sister. Oh, for yeah. sure. For okay. sure. For sure. Yeah. For sure. Just yeah. change the key and name it that. Mm-hmm. Cool. So then there are. Five, I guess, five lyrical sequel songs in the Me Without You. I like that they can pull that off. That's really cool. At least five. At least five. There's probably Mm -hmm. some hidden stuff in there. And uh, even on Genius, it says that one of the lines here, the why not be utterly changed to fire, is used again in the King Beetle on a coconut state. Yes. Utterly changed into fire. It's more of a sing-songy delivery than in this song, but that is a callback, which is just great. Just full of foreshadowing and callbacks. <laughs> I mean, they're just That's full so of it. Good. I will say, I think I, I pulled a Mason and called this four-letter word. I think I switched. It's four-word letter. I just I just now realized. I think when I introduced oh, the song, yeah. it was a catch us for the foxes situation all over again. It happens to all of us, It's man. the alternate dimension record of Catch Us for, for the Foxes has four-letter <laughs> word on four it. four-letter word. Yes. I want to hear that song. Well, let's move on to track number 11, Carousels. On a bus ride in town, I wondered out loud, why am I going to town as I look around at the billboards and the stores? I thought, why do I look around? This is my favorite song on the record. That's your is your favorite song, yes. dude. Josh, this is my second favorite. This is one of my favorite movies that you songs. I love this one. Mm-hmm. That's wild. Yeah, it's so long and it just like takes you on a journey. It takes its time. Mm-hmm. It's got mm-hmm. great dynamics all over the place. And I love songs like it's like this is a perfect song that you're like, okay, this record is coming to a close, and like you mm-hmm. feel that coming, but like it's still like taking you somewhere it's not like we're not wrapping it up yet we're gonna take you as we're wrapping it up so yeah this has just always been one that i've always loved this song is another great example throughout this album of this sort of like monastic journey that you can see eric aaron taking in his life yes Uh, so i i think if i remember right torches together talks a little bit or at, le- at least alludes a little bit to his time at the simple way, which was this like neo-monastic community in Philadelphia. Yes. And so he clearly was writing this album during his time um, at simple way, because you just really get this like monastic sort of theology. 
the way that he was wanting to live his life at that time was very monastic. Mm -hmm. And I just wonder, like, if you talk to him right now, how much he would relate to that Aaron. You know, it it, it seems like his life has certainly changed. His theology seems like it has certainly changed. And you can kind of see that progression throughout the albums. But yeah, I just would wonder if he looked back at, you know, if you asked him now to look back at that time of his life when he was writing this album, how much of it would he be like, yep, that's still pretty much me. Or how much it was like, nope, yeah. that's not me at all anymore. I'd just be curious. Right. That's the interesting thing about music, right? Is it's like a timestamp. And it's a and if you are successful as an artist, it becomes a public timestamp. And then it results in people like us who, you know, don't know the guy, but we're sitting here wondering these things and like, He's got a he's got a sort of square with all the different iterations that he presented lyrically of himself through all the different songs over the course of their career as a band. It's a really interesting dynamic. And now he's a professor somewhere, so in Idaho. <laughs> Maybe he's lecturing on like the 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 multiple versions of Aaron. <laughs> Speaking of self-reference. <laughs> Josh, what else about this song do you love? Man, I love the ringing out chords in the in the choruses, and it sounds like the guitar that they're using is either like a Jazzmaster or a Jaguar. So, like when you're playing on like that, just like hitting a big chord and just using that that trem arm, which is mm-hmm. one my bread and butter, and just like a sound that was like I love. I like I probably do it way too much, but I'm like I don't get tired of hearing it. I love it, so I love that. And then the lyrics. For if there was no way into God, I would never have laid in this grave of a body for so long. Grave of a body is a really cool line. I like that. Mm -hmm. So, and then it's got this one has a 90 second outro jam, but I feel like it's warranted if you're gonna have this as like the second to last song on the record. Yep, yeah, I love it. There's a Jack Kerouac reference. Thank you, TJ. You're just picking up all why are you sorry? No, you're picking up all the references. (laughs) It's so good. What's the Jack Kerouac reference? Is it Bigsby oh. Canyon Bridge? <laughs> That's my only Jack Kerouac That's reference. Different band, but great, great reference. Um, a horn blown by some sad angel is from uh, the Dharma. Dharma bombs. Uh, what is it called? Yeah, Dharma yeah. bombs. That's the only Kerouac I was ever able to get through. I don't even think I read the whole thing. <laughs> I think that's okay. I read some of that one. <laughs> if you had asked me like 10 years ago, I would have been, I would have probably had a very different opinion. But if you haven't finished a Jack Kerouac book, I think you're fucking okay. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, the surreal storytelling in this song is amazing. Like the, what you're alluding to Mason about kind of the monastic imagery. I don't know. I think it works really well. And I get why this is your favorite song, Josh. It's, it is a story and it like takes you on a journey. That guitar is like the sonic synthesis of like the desert of Sinai to me in my head. When I hear it, I'm like transported. It's so good. And I'm not even mad about this long jam at the end. It, like, no, it's the perfect jam's really for good. winding it, it down. It, yeah. feels, it feels like a last track, though. It feels I like was it just about to track. say, I, I'm really surprised mm. they didn't have this as their last track. It's yeah. really interesting. Yeah. Like, I get why Son of That's a, a Widow, point. it does kind of also feel like a last track, but either just like take out Son of a Widow yep. or put that somewhere else within right. the listing and have Carousels be the last track. Yeah, because Son For of a sure. Widow feels almost like like a postscript or like an epilogue. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because, uh, yeah, I think Carousels just ends so well. Well, that's as good a transition as any to the last track, guys. We did it. We've gone through almost the whole album. Track number 12 is Son of a Widow. Frame. 
Uh, if you are playing the CJN drinking game, take a drink because Kylan forgot to write notes for the last song. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> this is what happens with my ADD brain. I mean, guys, at this point, have I forgotten to write notes for the last song more than I've actually written notes for the last song? <laughs> I'll have to go back and listen to our own episodes. I think at this point, I think it's like a 70 30 split. <laughs> Could be. I'll get the stats on your that desk tomorrow right. morning. Thanks. <laughs> I, it's interesting that you were saying that, Mason, because I really like Carousels as like an closer because it's like, it's very sparse and chill. And I mean, there's only like a couple songs where I feel like, or a couple albums that I can think of that do that well, where you have like, kind of a big song that could work as a closer, but then you have like a pretty chill song. But I think like having one go into the other really works. I think it's a great one-two punch that Son of a Widow wouldn't wouldn't work as well as a closer without like carousels. Like Kylan, I think the other two records I'm thinking of that remind me of like this like chill and mellow of a like acoustic outro are Mm -hmm. Stable Song on Plans, and then uh, what's the interventions in lullabies? The last track on that um, one, because like that's a good question, but yeah, the one yeah, that because that, that that second to last song on interventions in lullabies is like so big and so anthemic, like that could be like a great way to end the record. But then like we're gonna have a little acoustic epilogue kind of chill. That's song. funny that you like that mm-hmm. because those are always songs that I end up skipping. <laughs> like I've I think I've only listened to stable song from Plans like. I've only listened to that song probably like five times. I think I always <gasps> cut it off. Yeah. And that's like just, one of your favorite albums. Yeah, I know. But I'm just usually done after Brothers on a Hotel Bed. I'm the same way because Brothers on a Hotel Bed is my favorite Death Cab song. So after that, I'm like, that's all I need. That's, right. That's it. Right. Yeah. It's like end on a high note. I don't need the acoustic epilogue. So basically, y'all don't want the epilogue. No. Basically. I do here. I like okay. it on this record. But in general, Kyle and you're like, forget this it. This album's too it. long. It doesn't need this song. <laughs> <laughs> Mason, what do you think, man? Uh, yeah, I just, I would, I think I would just reorder the tracking. Where would you put this one? I was just looking through this. Um, so I'd actually, I would put Paper Hanger down lower, um, mm. further down the list. Like I would probably put Paper Hanger before Carousels. Mm. Yeah, well, I was going to say, I think uh, lyrically, Paper Hanger and Carousels make sense together for me. They both have like some specific references that feel very like inner city, kind of like you were saying, like he was like living mm. in a simple way. Like, yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, they they definitely feel of a piece to me. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. I could see. Yeah, that. I, and I'm kind of thinking just like from the energy of each song throughout this album. Like, I, I like Torches Together being um, right next to January 1979. Like, two really high energy tracks. Lowered down a little bit with Tie Me Up. Um, and then to Leaf, then to Disaster Tourism. I think the way that it's structured for the first five songs, I don't think I would change at all. Uh, then I would probably, you know, move to Seven Sisters. And then, yeah, maybe like the Soviet, then probably put like Son of a Widow. Uh, and then maybe move from there to My Exit Unfair. From there, Four Letter Word, uh, or Four, four Word Letter, <laughs> did what you did, Kylan. Uh, and then I would have Paper Hanger and then Son of a Widow. So that's maybe how I would, like just from the mm. how each track is energy-wise, th- that's not really giving, giving any consideration to the lyrics. But just from like an energy standpoint, I like the way that that would be structured more so. Yeah. But what do I know? 
I do like that you I have because like you have Son of a Widow going right before My Exit Unfair, and that's the one that has like that fade in. I feel like that would work mm-hmm. really well after like the down of the Son of a Widow. Widow. Yeah. yeah, no, that makes sense. Yeah, Mason, we, we talk a lot about alternate track lists on on this show, so yeah, uh, I like yours. That makes a lot I think, of sense. I think it works. Yeah. Yeah, I almost like exclusively think of track listing from an energy standpoint. I really yep. don't. Again, I'm not really much of a lyrics person, so I just really don't give too much consideration. And I'm sure a lot of bands, that's probably maybe the primary consideration. But just from like an energy standpoint, I re- like that's to me the hallmark of really good albums is how they yep. flow the energy of each track from um, from one track to the next. And uh, yeah, I think I would just slightly change a few here. Um, yeah. yeah, I think the the heaviness. I think the heaviest part of this album, in terms of energy, is Paper Hanger, the end of Paper Hanger, mm-hmm. and to have that energy, and then you move into the stillness of Carousels, and let's say you have Carousels as the ending track. Then, like, I think that like super high energy moving in, into moving like this into, like, like more contemplative stillness, I think is a perfect way to end that album with those last two tracks. Um, I really like albums that do that really well like the chariot always did that they had the longer final track and then they would have the track before that the the second to last song on an album they typically had something that was pretty high energy so i really like when bands do that mm-hmm. yeah that's so rad i i like that because i was trying to think through what my alternate track list would be but i like that a lot more than what i came up with and it's not much different either you've only moved Two songs, basically, right? Yeah, I think I'm just moving. Yeah, I'm probably just moving two songs around. That yep. drastically, I think, changes the flow of the album. Yeah, for sure. I, I do think that like Soviet, Paper Hanger, and My Exit Unfair need to be split up in some way, shape, or form. Mm-hmm. Just because they all have like a really heavy component in terms of the musicality in yep. in each one of those songs. And so I think to like just and because there's a few of these songs like Leaf and Seven Sisters and Son of a Widow that are a little bit more a little bit more quieter and just a little bit more, you know, relaxing for lack of a better term. Mm-hmm. Uh or, or they're just, you know, they're they're just more restful. I think to split up some of the high energy tracks would be helpful, but then mm-hmm. have mm-hmm. paper hanger at the very, you know, towards the end and then carousels. I a hundred percent agree with that. Yeah. I think that's super good. Well, guys, we did it. We uh, are there any other final thoughts on the record before we go into our our closing statements? Our flop or bop? What's the word I'm looking for, Josh? Assessment. Uh, assessment. Thank there you. you go, yeah. I just want to say, I think lyrically, the reason they went with this song, even though vibe wise, I actually am very intrigued with your alternative track list, Mason. I'm gonna give it a listen in that order and see what I think. But I think the reason they went with it is lyrically this idea of like grape on the vine, grape on the vine, why not be crushed to make wine? It's kind of, it feels like a sort of final like thesis statement for the album, right? Like if, if Catch Rests of Foxes is like about sort of separating out oneself from the distractions of the world or like trying to find peace or trying to find oneness or trying to find God, like leaving Sinai, right? Like all these images that he gives us about like trying to find divinity or, or peace, like being crushed to make wine. This idea of like, there's consequences and there's like maybe some, 
pain that comes along with it, but you're ultimately like sort of absorbed into like this idea of oneness. And I, I wonder if that's maybe why they went with this track as the final one to like leave the listener with that idea of like being crushed to make wine. Cause he yeah. doesn't like a good vintage. I, I mean, there's so much losing of oneself throughout the album. And this one, right. it changes from losing of oneself to dying to oneself. So right. that like sort of death component is a, yeah, I think lyrically makes a, uh, a good, it's a good way then to kind of wrap up the album because you're, you really are transitioning from losing to oneself to, to dying to yourself. Right. Yeah. Kind of annihilation of ego. Although I think well, there was one, uh, there's one track in there. I forget which one it was. Um, might be timing up. Um, or I, actually, I think it's Leap, where there actually is some like suicidal themes. Um, but this to, Son of a Widow seems a little bit more of this earnestness to not necessarily around suicide, but like just simply dying to oneself. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. No, I I definitely agree with that because I love how it ends, especially like so simply of him, like in him, like asking the question, like, like grapes into wine, but then like the son of a widow, where did his soul go when he died again? And you're like, Oh yeah. Like what happened to his soul? Like when he died the first time and then like, right. Jesus raised him again. Like, I just love that as like a, I'm just going to leave you with this, like with a question big question that you're going to just like, yes. that's going to get stuck with you where you're like, Whoa, okay. I haven't thought about that. Like, that's cool. Mm-hmm. So I love that about it. And that's why that's a big, part of why I like it as a closing track. That makes sense. I think I was too checked out to <laughs> cop all of that by this I also, point. I think I, I also saw on their 15 year AB life, uh, reunion tour. Uh, I saw Aaron played this one acoustic, like before they came out for like a full band set at the end and seeing it, like him just playing acoustic, I, I th- really elevated it in my mind now. So hmm, I think that, cool. that also helps the experience for me right yeah yeah i feel like like seeing an experience like having an experience like that live can kind of change your perspective on a band or an album okay so here's how i want to do the flopper bop order if y'all are cool with it josh let's have you go first because i uh i feel like you have some very interesting things to say mason we're gonna have you go second uh and then tj then me cool Nice. I like it. All right, sweet. Josh, what do you think? Is Catch for Us the Foxes a flop or a bop and why? It is a bop. Okay. Simple. The end. I rest my case. Simple the no, end. Okay. <laughs> yeah, no. This uh, is like the only time you get verbose on the podcast. And I need I you to give me a little take bit more. my time. <laughs> yes. No. Uh, I mean, by my definition, is it something I see myself listening to again? Yes, obviously. I really like this record. I like most record in in i'm gonna said emory in me without use discography and i would see myself listening to it again and again i and it was funny like i was really hoping diving into this would really help like bring that middle section up for me because it always has been like a low point where i'm like getting lost and i i don't know i like to like i guess know which song i'm in and be like like if you're asking me like what's the soviet i could be like oh it sounds like this Right. Um, and I, I just have a hard time doing it with those four songs from Leaf to the Soviet for some reason. So that part didn't change for me with this listen and with, with the, the listens that I did for preparing for this. So that is still something I think that dips down. And so that maybe would put it at maybe like a third in my favorite me without you. Cause I do really like untitled as like maybe my, my second favorite, but I just love, and the fact that like Chris Kleinberg, 
left after brother sister like i don't know it's easy for me to be like man glory days of like chris and mike playing together and just like the cool unique combination of their guitars i think also helps elevate it because i do love a lot of what they're doing on this record guitar wise and what Mm -hmm. chris really added to the band i think was really solid so probably second or third favorite me without you record depending on the day but uh, i love it and i'll listen to it again so bop sweet all right Mason, what do you think? Is this a flop or a bop? Of course it's a bop. <laughs> Anybody that says anything else is a flop. Um, <laughs> it's just such a good album. I, again, when I listened to it today, I listened to AB Life After. And what I was really listening for is how have they evolved in their sound? And you clearly can hear an evolution from one album to the next. Mm-hmm. And again, I think that's a mark of a really good band. and again the beauty of some a band like me without you is essentially every album after even catch for us the foxes they got better as a band and there was mm-hmm. certainly an evolution in their sound and so yeah i i think this is, certainly is a bop i don't think it's their best album but it is an album that i will listen to for the rest of my life it's one of my favorite albums um just in general even though it's um not my favorite me without you album it's just an incredible album it will it's left a mark in my life like i mentioned before i think january 1979 might be the most listened to song ever in my life right and so it's just it really has left a mark and i'm just very grateful for for them to make it sweet that all makes sense to me tj what you got buddy yo so this album bops horde okay because it Hit me at an impressionable time, so I have to acknowledge some sort of nostalgic bias in my in my boppery. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do think that listening back to it in 2022 and still feeling really excited about a lot of the musicianship happening in it, um, a lot of the lyrical uh, composition, the thematic elements, the interesting vocal stylings that I mentioned earlier from Aaron the fact that they still sort of speak to me and resonate with me, all of that, I mean, it's it's just unquestionably a bop. And yeah, I won't belabor the point. All right. I do want to say, TJ, that I, at least in my mind, I want to set a precedent here that I think you can bop a record on nostalgia alone. Cause I, oh yeah, I, for sure. I do think there are a couple of records that we'll get to that I will, that I'm like, critically, I should probably flop it, but I'm going to bop it for nostalgia alone. So I think nostalgia playing into it is a totally valid reason to bop a record. Just agreed to establish that that on church jams now. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Thanks for, thanks for saying that. I agree. Kylan, what do you got, man? What do you think? Okay. Does this album bop? (laughs) Does it flop? Is he going to do it? Let let me, let me preface all of this by, there's a preface by stating, (laughs) It's never good. Once again, how subjective this all is. If I'm if I'm stepping back from the like objectivity of like what we do every single week of like going back and critically listening to these albums, if I add the human element kind of back in, I think personally I just wasn't feeling me without you this week and i listened to this record like four times uh and and like i said in in part a 
I wasn't as familiar with it. Uh, Brother or Sister was sort of my entry point. Uh, and I love um, Baby Life. And this one, for some reason, kind of like passed me by. So I don't have the like nostalgia factor with it. I think if you had asked me on a different week, I might bop this, but I'm going to just I'm going to barely flop this. And I know I'm going to get so much shit uh, from everybody (laughs) that likes me without you. Um, I just I feel like the first three songs like have a specific energy that I don't feel like with the exception of like kind of the end of Paper Hanger. Um, the rest of the album doesn't really have. So I, I'm like barely flopping it, but, but part of it is kind of what I said in, in part a, like I listened to it and it mostly made me want to just go listen to brother sister, (laughs) Hmm. uh, because I'm more familiar with, with, with that record. Uh, there weren't a lot of moments on this record that I really like super hooked into, um, besides the drums, but I don't know. I'm I'm really actually like I kind of cavalierly like last week said I would flop it because I liked the high drama of it all. I'm actually legitimately a little embarrassed by myself (laughs) that I'm flopping this record. Uh, Hmm. I feel like I'm going to like instantly probably in like two weeks going to offer some sort of retraction. (laughs) <laughs> uh, but as as it stands right now, you know, September 14th, 2022, uh, I'm I'm going to flop this album, guys. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. <laughs> I'll just I'll I'll put down my headphones. I'll quit. Well, you, you guys already can just did. continue the right? podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. so it's kind of fine that you're wrong because Mason's going to take over. It's all going to be fine. <laughs> kind right, of in defense of your it. point. Uh, to what you said. Former podcast host, Kylan Savage. <laughs> yes, that's right. That's right. Let's specify As we here. send you off, I would like to say, uh, without aligning with you too much that I also get sent off, uh, but as someone else that listened to Brother Scissor first and then catch for us, it does have where it feels like a lot of the stuff that they're doing on this record is reaching for something that they then perfect on Brother Sister. So I definitely like relate to that sentiment a lot. I, I can see that in for why like you and I both love Brother Sister and why this right. one isn't as much, which I know for a lot of people, this like is the me without you record. For right. Them, I know I'm going to get so much shit. I'm like already anticipating it. What's interesting to me is that Mason and I both bopped this record where we agree that y'all are wrong and their better albums are their later albums. But we like this one, which is before Brother Sister enough to bop it. And right. Kylan, you flopped it, but you like Brother Sister so much. That's what's interesting to me as far as their catalog goes. Right. And but I think Brother Sister is a better album. Like, yeah. don't get me wrong. I think but it's a better album. I, I do agree with that. I also agree with that. But I understand why this is a bop. And I'm what I'm I'm trying to communicate that like I think I just wasn't feeling this record this week. Yeah, you weren't in that this headspace. Wasn't, yeah, this that wasn't the sense. time for me to do a deep dive on this album and give it complete objectivity. You know, recognizing the, the major flaw in our system is that <laughs> we're all fucking humans <laughs> and other shit happens. I think we'll need to make a rule where it's like you can only bop 50% of a band's or, like or, hey, discography. Hey. So like even if it's like your favorite band and you love all their records, like you can only bop that like gives so many stakes. of them. And then you're like, ah. I bopped these three. I have to therefore flop these wow. three. Or can yeah, I, guys, guys, we have precedence. Oof. We have precedence for can I abstain? 
Oh. <laughs> TJ <laughs> abstained from the new Five Iron Frenzy record. I did. Thus giving precedence so I don't have to fully embarrass myself. Can we have a ruling right now? Can I abstain from a flop or bop on this record? Gonna throw off my stats. I mean, that's your prerogative, man. <laughs> okay, fuck it. I abstain. It'll be TBD. <laughs> we'll let you guys okay, know. But we have game. to leave all this in because there's got to be context for why we're even talking about it. No, no context. <laughs> all right, guys. Uh, okay. This has been apparently my last episode of Church Jams Now. <laughs> Mason, thanks so much for coming on, man. Uh, yeah, thanks thank for you. having me. This is really fun. Super appreciated. Do you have anything you wanna you want people to know about? Uh, I have a podcast called The Black Sheep Podcast, where I interview bands like Me Without You, and we just had an episode as at the time that we're recording this right now. Uh, yesterday, we had an episode come out uh, that where we interviewed Tyson Matzenbacher, who's a tooth and nail artist. Really, really. If you like Me Without You, you're gonna like Tyson Matzenbacher. So anyway, we interviewed those types of bands. It's a fun time. Uh, sometimes I drink a little too much, so editing makes it really difficult, but it's a really fun time. So you should right check there. that podcast out. The Black Sheep Podcast. Black Sheep, one word. Hell yeah. Excellent. Mason, it's an honor and a privilege to have you, man. Thanks yeah, for being thanks on. for having me. This was fun. Yeah, this I like the idea fun. that anyone that is listening to this show doesn't know what your show is. <laughs> <laughs> your show's like the yeah, big brother cute. to this show. <laughs> <laughs> There might but be. Thanks for shouting it out. There might be. There might be. Josh, your mom. Your mom probably follows my mom. us on Patreon. Yeah, yeah probably she probably doesn't guys. know about it. <laughs> yeah, maybe that plug was good for her. She'll check it out. All right, so check it out. TJ's mom. <laughs> Josh's mom. Josh's mom. TJ's mom has no idea what TJ's any mom of this doesn't is. even know what a podcast is. <laughs> yeah. Pod what? Um, a radio sweet. show? That's just a radio <laughs> show. On the radio. Oh my god! I had to do that. Uh, my wife's grandparents were in town recently and her grandfather was like so interested in the podcast because I had to like leave to to do this podcast last week and he could not wrap his brain around what a podcast was and I did not have it in me to like fully explain. So I just told him I do a radio show. <laughs> Perfect. I was like, yeah. He's like, oh yeah, so you get paid for that? I was like, one day, hopefully, maybe we just do it ourselves. All <laughs> We're right. <getting> there. <laughs> um, yeah. So, you know, follow us on social media, blah, 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 all this stuff from all of us at Church Gyms Now. May all your favorite bands stay together. Peace out, Monfrayers. Thank you so Peace much. Out, Monfrayers.